Like, it's always amazing how often it ha- happens that the ultimate answer ends up being way simpler than the thing you start right. with. Right, absolutely. You know, it just happens right. all But if you don't time. start with the yep, yep. more whatever thing, then you won't find the part that was good, right? If you just start with the... I feel like if you yeah. just start with a really simple thing, you're going to like you're going to miss out on the thing that would have been good. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Hi, everybody. This is Soren Johnson, and you're listening to Designer Notes, a podcast about why we made games. Today, we are talking to veteran game designer Brian Reynolds, who co-founded Firaxis Games and Big Huge Games. He is best known for his design work on strategy games like Colonization, Civilization II, Alpha Centauri, and Rise of Nations. Remind me, briefly, what are we yeah. gonna, it's been a number of... Uh... A number of days since the last time we talked. The, the listener will not quite know. Possibly a four-digit number of days. I can't even remember. Uh, yeah, so I actually I listened through the podcast yesterday just to like remember where, right. where we finished. And to give you a frame of reference or how long it's been, when we started the podcast, we started talking about some war games. Mm-hmm. And uh, we were talking about like uh, We the People and uh, Hannibal. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, have you played Twilight Struggle? And you were basically like... Try to struggle? What, what's that? Oh my gosh, that's so funny. <laughs> then so, I went yeah. all the way down the rabbit hole. That's awesome. So, that's yeah. awesome. Brian likes and Twilight Struggle. I'm probably, I know I'm, I've played a few games, but you went pretty deep. I, oh, I'm all the way down. Yeah, I'm, uh, have you seen that site, twilightstrategy.com? Yes. It's like, yeah. So, it's like a long article on like every single card. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So that one, so. So I've got my little YouTube thing right. now where I do... Um, yeah, I've seen that. Uh, yeah. So the series that's going up, that, that it goes up on Friday, it starts, is Against Theory, which is the guy that oh, wow. made the site. So, okay. yeah, in my little... Because it, it was my... When I got that thing going, like part of my little scheme was... It, it, a way to get to play all the top guys uh, <laughs> to get them to play me and so so I, I've played all these ridiculously good um, guys and sometimes I beat them so how that's, do you, that's how do you do fun. how do you do on average um, I think I do exactly on average I mean I'm, I'm about 50 50 okay. um, uh, it, it's uh, it's secret but I beat theory <laughs> uh, Sanks timed out against me, so that's too bad because right. uh, he was probably going to clock. Uh, uh, Jimovi absolutely wiped the floor with me. Like he's he's like graded twenty one hundred or something like that. Wow. And he uh, he he's the top positional player, you know, as opposed to the um, Chinese style player, and uh, and yeah. he he wiped the floor with me. But but some of them, no, I mean I've beaded some, I've. Beated some two thousand rated right. peeps, several two thousand rated people, and so I, th- I think I, I it's it's about fit. I, yeah. I I remember I won the first three, yeah. which was uh, was like holy crap, what's what's wrong? And and yeah. then then I had a, a you know a this is an interesting but, game because it's really like completely two separate games in there, right? Like there's the game for people who are going to play it two or three times. Oh yeah, they, like, yeah. They learn the rules and they're like, oh, this is kind of fun and like. Right. You know, they're actually even kind of thinking it in terms of the game, like thematically and all that stuff. But like, the the, actually the middle layer is very difficult because if you go up against someone who basically is like 
they know every card. Yeah, you're right. going to get demolished. It's a totally different thing. Yeah, yeah. Like, if you want to be competitive, like you need to know, you need to think about what cards are in the deck and when they're coming yeah. through, which is obviously not where someone is when the game begins. Right. So, they well, kind of have like absolutely. Yeah, it's kind of like, is this really? <laughs> That's kind of an interesting choice for game design, right? Because it is, yeah, it is, and, and I don't think, and I think Ananda's pretty conflicted about it. Right. Because when the app came out, mm-hmm. I I asked him. I said, so well, so you know, in Twilight Struggle, on turn three, the deck reshuffles, yep. Yep. and so you can theoretically, there's about you know four or five cards in your opponent's hand that you can know exactly what they yep. are yep. if you've either memorized it or if you count it or whatever. And so, obviously, when you're sitting over the board, well, first of all, you're sitting there contiguously doing it, and yep. so you've you've got some situational memory of of what the what cards are. But when you're playing on the app, and maybe you've got 20 games going at one time, and these are 45 day time controls or whatever, or seven day time controls, you don't remember the stuff. And so then you got to go in and go like, okay, am I lazy or do I care? Right. You know, <laughs> and. And I, I wrote to, um, so first I wrote to like the programmer, because um, I kind of know him, and and he was like, eh, you know, maybe, whatever. I mean, they obviously had other things to do. I mean, yeah. uh, they got to make the next app, not <laughs> put features for me into the last app. And I, I talked to, I, said, I, I wrote to Ananda, I was like, well, here's a couple of things, and here's some bugs, and here's like a card, like there was a card that is resolved, the the rules are treated differently than the official ruling for the, you know, right. th- things like that. But then I was like, and, you know, could you just tell us what the cards are on turn yeah. three and turn seven, right? Because, like, If you I know, could theoretically figure this out. Right. And, and he was really me. conflicted because he yeah. said, well, you know, I did, I don't think of card memory as one of the skill, you know, yeah. the core skills for Twilight Struggle. But on the other hand, it, it feels so wrong to just tell you. And so every time I'm playing one of these, you know, high-rated games, I got a guy get out the little yeah. I've, i even made my own little stupid card spreadsheet gotta get it out and just check through the boxes and say okay it's suez crisis it's duck and cover it's middle east scoring you know and yeah and it drives me mad i would play more games if if yeah. i didn't have to do that and wow yeah I, that's <laughs> it's a super interesting thing to think of from a design point of view because from probably from Ananda's, Ananda's point of view that's the game he made that wasn't the game he intended to make. Sure. Right. Yeah. Like, right. Right. Like it, but in reality, he absolutely made a game where if you want to be good at it, you have to know that stuff. You yeah. You have to keep track of that stuff. And it's funny, I guess with the app, theoretically, he could do like a random, like allowed duplicates and just like. He could know, change have, the mix. Sure. Right. And so yeah. it'd be like, okay, there's always an equal chance of every card coming up during a right. different period. And so you like, there's no reason to memorize. Yeah. Right? Or you could do, have you played Through the Ages? Through the, uh, yes, a little bit, as opposed to Roll Through the Ages. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Very, very different scope yeah. games. Um, one's gonna take and I've played game. a lot more Nations, which I think of as yes. kind of the condensed, yeah. the, the tightened up game like design of Through the Ages. Of it. So, yeah. Through the Ages is quite an endeavor if you want to do it in person, yeah. but they have a, they made a fantastic right. app. About right. Is, I have seen the app. Yeah, I haven't it's played it fantastic. Deeper, it's the best yeah. board game conversion app I've ever seen, mm-hmm. which is really saying something because i really sure. don't think i would enjoy through the ages in person uh-huh. because it's just it just it just takes so long right but here's the thing when you talk about 
you know, you should know which four cards are in your opponent's hand. Yeah. Uh-huh. So that game does all that app does, does all it for of you. That. Yeah. Every yeah. single thing you could think of is provided, right? Right. Like there's there's you know you have the deck of like um, you know basically technologies and leaders and you know things that that come up over the game. At any point you can click on it, and it'll show you these are all the cards that are left in the deck. These are the ones that have come up. These are the right. ones in the discard pile. These are the ones that were taken by each of the different opponents, uh-huh. right? Like every single piece of information you could have written down at any time is there like one click away on the app. Right. So they like fully committed to this, this like, well, you know, this is the game we designed. If a player is going to want this information, we should give it to them. Right. And that's definitely my position. And, you know, if you remember at all the settlers for xbox that's basically what we did you know you could go track the entire chart of die rolls (laughs) you know we had the the die roll whining screen and everything but uh but you know i I came into the twilight before the twilight circle app came out i'd played like on war game room and of course that did enforce the rules but it didn't um you know it didn't have online matchmaking it didn't have ratings it didn't have you had to play sit there and play uh you know it didn't have go back and forth play or any of that kind of stuff. So it had all these issues with it. But on the other hand, it told you what the cards were on turn three. It uh, it said, really? You know, really play duck and cover at DEFCON 2? Yes, no? <laughs> <laughs> all of that kind of stuff. You know, and it yeah. was just, wow, this is really convenient. I like this. And yeah. and so, yeah, I guess I'm just more in, I'm, I'm more in that school. But yeah, yeah. It, one last Twilight Struggle thing, which is uh, Ananda told me, since you talked about how it's two different games, yeah. the funny thing is he told me that for really new players, the Soviets have a substantial advantage. Mm-hmm. And for yeah. really, really good players, you know, tournament level players, the Soviets have a substantial advantage. For just kind of medium in between yeah. casual players, they really don't. And yeah. that it was just kind of a funny little huh. uh, yeah, on ramp, really off ramp. Uh, <laughs> that's really interesting. He was he, he was saying why they didn't rebalance, yeah. you know, to you know give the U.S. a couple more influence or something at the beginning. But yeah, but that's part of the reason. Huh. Interesting. So his, you know, most of the people that are going to play the game, it's yeah. going to be... Because they recommend you give, like, two victory points to the Soviets, right? That, that's the current... I mean, by they, that's the, you know, at, at tournament-level bidding, that yeah. is pretty... Some people bid one, and, and actually, you know, for a medium, you know, for a, if you're not up in the top regions, I would say actually probably bidding one is probably the right bid, maybe, at that level. But, uh, but yeah, I bid two. Right. Every time, which means I actually end up playing the Soviets about two thirds of the time, right. but that's what I found kept my metrics a little more yeah, more yeah, even. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well. Okay. So anyway, <laughs> <laughs> sorry. I don't have anything to do today, so. <laughs> Uh, uh, all right. Well, I think where we were was you'd finished Civ Two, right? It was time to start talking about founding Fraxis. Oh, right. So, yeah, right. Uh, so ha- had we uh, gotten ourselves out of Microprose yet, or based by Microprose have been sold? Civ Two came out, right? Know, Civ like, Two we're came out, about, like how it sold, you know, two million plus copies, right? And we, did we talk about the thing where like the people that were, you know, the Spectrum Holobody people that were in charge of. Uh, Microsoft at the time like told us that they oh, were yeah. going to be able to sell thirty eight thousand yeah. copies. Oh, yeah. so, so anyway, that was that was a lot of the reason. You know, their sort of lack of vision for right. 
for civilization and, and what we thought of it was it's it's manifest <laughs> obvious you know success uh was was a lot of the reason to to leave and, and yeah. do for axis and so i think who how did that start to, did sid just uh, no, I, you like, know, I think yeah. I think Jeff was the ringleader. Really, I okay. mean, he was the he was the one that kind of brought it together into a thing. Sure. He was certainly the first one that had the vision of maybe there should be a different company hmm. and and people should be at it. Right, and so. Um, there is one level at which you know. Sid was who he wanted, and I was kind of his backup plan. You know, so there could be some company <laughs> that could do guy, some game, right? And then, but but I think for so you know for maybe for for Jeff that you know Sid was the was the reach, and I was the backup. But for Sid, I think I was the um, I was the work going to be the workhorse right. to to work on the things that. Make, maybe publishers well money, right? i mean not that he thought he wasn't going to make things that made money it was right. that he i i could i could get the projects that publishers really wanted like especially sequels to things yeah. or follow-ons to things and you know basically stuff in the civ world or you know, in the, you know initially alpha centauri but you know that had a, a clear kind of conceptual relationship right. uh you know 4x games you know, i could just do 4X games, which was certainly what Sid's brand now was and what publishers absolutely, that's what Electronic Arts absolutely wanted. And in return for that, for him, that meant he got to do slightly more experimental things without having all that, you know, publisher breathing down the problem. Right. The next thing. Uh, so we started that off, and there. So did you guys? Did you guys just quit and then start talking to publishers right away, basically? Yes, yes. And Sid had kind of some magical deal with, you know, his his contract with Microprose oh, yeah. was was a lot more a lot more not the same than ours yeah. was. <laughs> yeah, and he so, wasn't like an employee, right? He had he, some weird. Uh, I, I, I couldn't even tell you. I mean, I, I never, certainly never saw it. Yeah. But but what appeared to be the case was that a he didn't have any obligations about um, like not hiring people right. or anything like that. That's pretty I, amazing position to be in. Yeah, yeah. He <laughs> might have had like you know he might have had to to you know non compete for like you know, 90 days or something. Right. I mean, like a really, really short, in, in the business world, really, really short time. Uh, uh, and, but, but yeah, so that really kind of changed the dynamic. I mean, it meant we could, you know, by merely jumping through the simple hoop of having Sid interview people, because, because, yeah. <laughs> you know, because that would have been a real disadvantage anyway. It, it meant that, you know, because I, you know, I probably wasn't allowed to, hire anybody yeah. and whatever you know and and plus i think you know i think he was allowed to have all his source code at least for civ one wow. you know i mean he just <laughs> you know it was just yeah i mean it was that was that was a deal hey he, he had a good deal you know wow. it, was, it, it gave me it gave me insight into future deals for me <laughs> you know later on when when people started asking me to um 
on what terms I would like to leave the first big huge or whatever. Right. Um, I had some, I had some, some, I, some more informed ideas than I would have certainly had at the time that I was, uh, uh, you know, I was kind of a line guy. I was an employee, yeah. you know, um, I mean, you were, purely employee at Microsoft. You were young. You were probably like mid twenties. I was, yeah, yeah. So by the time, so in 1996, yeah, I was, I turned 29 yeah. as we started for Axis. Right. Um, yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, um, that was that was early. That was early, and uh, but yeah, you know, so so, so uh, the fact that Sid was. Um, you know, it, certainly the um, public relations front and center. You know, the the brain. You know, you, 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 he wasn't. You know, Jeff was the negotiate with publishers person because right. he had a more productiony background. But but Sid was certainly you know who you brought out to meet and greet. And uh, but it gave, it also gave me a somewhat warped um, a warped sense of what starting a studio is like from a publisher negotiation point right. of view. Uh, so, <laughs> like, the, yeah, yeah. So what happened was, um, I mean, I think, I think I, I let, like, Jeff might have left at the end of April of 96, mm-hmm. and I think I left on about May the 10th. It was, like, right on my fifth anniversary. I, I wanted to make it to my fifth yeah. anniversary just for psychological reasons because, I mean, really, in a way, looking back on it, Micropose might have actually been the most fun company I ever worked on. You know, the most fun I ever had in the game industry. So, uh, you know, so right. you know, I, I had good memories, even though I didn't like the uh, the people that had that come later to to own it. <laughs> uh, but by by late May and early June, so let's see. So Bobby Kodak flew out, right. um, and yeah, we actually talked about this some in the first. Oh, part. we did. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, so. Richard Gary coming and right, yeah, yeah, exactly. Like no, yeah, all those things. So, so that happened, and and yeah, and I think that you know, in a way, I, I suppose that the fact that that I thought, oh, I see. So you just say you're a studio, and then the president of every publisher flies out and <laughs> and and you know competes to to give you a, yeah. a good deal. Um, you know, maybe if I didn't have that idea, maybe I never would have made the leap to you know yeah. to do big, huge, and and later things because you know obviously it it was you know it, it wasn't terrible, but it was it was hard. It, it, it was, it was hard. a different world, right? It was it was a different world when yeah. when there wasn't um, you know when there wasn't Sid with this storied twenty year career and and all this stuff. Uh, so you know that was <laughs> that in in a way it was good that I, I got that warped perception and so then Sid his project was Gettysburg he knew that's what he wanted to do. he knew that was what he wanted to do he had already, he had done some earlier Civil War thing you know when he was at Microprose but that was more of a a more strategic view but he wanted to do more of a little men walking around because he remembered you know playing with toy soldiers and yep. things I guess. Uh, or books that had them. I, I can't remember exactly which which of his uh, <laughs> early experience. So he he was doing that. That was his game, and I was to do the um, the game that was always called Alpha Centauri. It, it wasn't that wasn't a game that we had to find a working title for, or you know, for, from day one, uh, the game. You know, the name of that game was Sid Meier's Alpha Centauri. Now, the game that was the game got you know went through a whole lot of different things because the initially and you know if if this is something we've already talked about 
No, you're good. It's four years with, ago. Uh, start with yeah. Elvis and Daria. Like, yeah. Uh, what, what, because, yeah, I didn't, I didn't know it was ever anything different than... Well, uh, well it was, yeah, it was very... So atmosphere. the initial thing was, okay, well, we're going to have civilization, you know, once you get there in space. And so the big ideas initially were, well, you can, you can customize your own units, right. which, you know, we did do a version of that and was probably the, um, you know stupidest feature of the game you know in terms of something that we invested a huge amount of resources in right. bang to be for a, the buck was not good yeah I mean, the bang for the buck in my opinion in terms of what you got in the gameplay and and the visuals and whatever was was not worth it uh, and then the other thing was that you could terraform the world a little bit because you'd have advanced technology and stuff and that was kind of it and then you'd somehow go into the future and things would get more more and more futury but in a history kind of way right. <laughs> and but there was no um, there was no aesthetic vision yet. It was just that it was going to be futury. There was no there was no story, no characters, right. no um, no world building. No so the concept you know, of planet. There was no seven, there was no planet. There were no fact. There were no mind worms. There was no ecology. There was it was just a it was a very you know it was a very colonize Mars kind of get your oxygen percentage and and now you're discussing that we you know you make up a science fiction you discover nonlinear mathematics and so then you get this unit with a giant laser on it and yeah. and that's and that's how it goes. And so what we were discovering, you know, like the the, the big key thing but, we were ask, was it always like the core of the game was still. Oh, well, it was sim, still. It was still like, absolutely. It was cities money, production. You know, arrows, click on little areas near. You know, you'd you'd fidget stuff around your city, and then you'd um um you know move units around and attack things. It was just very dry, right? Okay. Uh, it, it was just because it, it it lacked all the inherent. So we discovered that oh. We were just taking for granted the fact that civilization has the magic of history in the right. sense that everybody kind of knows history. Mm-hmm. So you can put them in a history sandbox, which is what civilization was, and they kind of know how to play with the toys. They at least recognize the shapes of things. And right. so it's like, oh, you discovered the wheel, so you can have the chariot. Well, everybody, A, knows what a wheel is and knows what a chariot is, and you can, and there's a kind of an association that, oh, I see, and oh, and then it, that was militarily powerful for kind of an obvious reason because it, you know, even though chariots weren't actually super great, but, but you, yeah. you can kind of, people could, could get there with their, what I used to call your inherent schoolhouse rock, you know, that kind of yeah. dates me as a Gen Xer, but <laughs> your, your schoolhouse rock knowledge of history was enough to, right. Plus, get, there was a desire there, right? People wanted to build the pyramids. Right? Well, right, right. No, everybody had the 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 it had that that original. You know, one of the oldest games on computers was Hammurabi, and it's like you know, you are the king, and and so in a way, civilization draws some, you know some of that. Okay, you're the king, and now another year has gone on. And how much food is there going to be, and 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 how yeah, how's your wonder coming? You know? yeah. <laughs> the 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 rays of the sun are long, <laughs> oh Pharaoh. <laughs> And and so those things that we you know you worked on civilization games and and even when we did colonization it had that too yep. 
And it was just, we were just used to doing these history games. And so we had come to just take for granted that we could always lean on people's not. And then you get to, you get to this future stuff and there were no, uh, you know, the rules were suddenly different and nobody knew what nonlinear mathematics was or why it would lead to any particular other giant laser. <laughs> and of course, our imagination of what the, you know, it depended on our imagination to come up with those things. And, and we were really just kind of, we were just coming up boring. It, you know, it was not a, um, I mean, it would have been a fine, if we had just kind of run with that and done it, it would have been fine thing and it was sold some and people thought oh okay that's interesting but it wouldn't have been it wouldn't have been what it ultimately was it it wouldn't have been I don't know immersive in the way that it was for some people and and, you know it it never sold as many as a Civ game I mean it was always you know like a a, but it sold a hell of a lot more than colonization like you know (laughs) (laughs) order at least an order of magnitude more than colonizations and and it was you know it was a it, uh, it still, I mean, it certainly sticks with people. People, it does, right? So the the people that life. love it really, really love it, and and there's not many people that hate it. You know, there's people that were like, okay, well, that wasn't for me. You know, but so it's it's not polarizing. It's more like some people it just really get some, and other people are like, ah, eh, wasn't for me. Yeah. So you know, that's, that's a good place to come yeah. down, right? You know, I'd rather, I, you know, I'd rather sell four million copies and have it be the the next Civ thing, but we didn't have that op- at the time. We did not have that option, and yeah. we had to do something. So let's talk about the how you got you worked in the thematic stuff, there, right. right? Because like what's what's what was missing was basically the storyline, yeah, so like, right. How did that come well, and the and the world, the sense of the world, yeah. and the sense uh, right. So the the world, the care, and so you know, I always used to read a lot of like history books while we were doing history games, and at some point, I decided it wasn't like I never read any science fiction, but I decided you know. I need to, I need to get myself in a science fiction space. In other words, not to make it about like sciencey future history. I mean, you know, there, there, there was a, there was room maybe for some hard science fiction. You know, right. we could we could be at the hard end of science fiction, but it was realizing maybe we need some fiction in here, and that was not in the DNA for Microprose yeah. or at that point for Axis. Yeah, yeah. Uh, because... It hasn't necessarily been since then, either. It hasn't really been since then. No, it hasn't it's been since then. And, and and I think some of it is, you know, Sid himself was the, you know, the founding father of the, well, you should be able to tell any story, yeah. right? Not that you should be telling a story. So anytime you introduce a specific character, you know, that was just against the, against the grain. You know, it, when, when he personally makes a game, it doesn't usually have a character, right? right. It, it, you're, it's more sandboxy. I think that's his, that's his gaming personality. And, and it's what we were all, therefore, you know, those of us who were trained in his shadow were kind of trained in how to do. We were influenced in that way. And I can remember any time at Microprose you'd try to introduce a character, a story, it would everybody'd be all, you know, just the the cultural reaction so then, would be to reject it and say, Well, but then you can't then you're then you're limited. You know, yeah. you can't did Sid or Jeff have reservations when you started going in the Oh no, no, not really. I mean, because it was I mean at that point, I mean at that point, first of all, you know, they were busy, you know, sure. I mean they had their own problems, right? And 
Uh, and at that point, you know, I'd had enough, I'd been around the block and been successful enough that I had a level of trust from the, yeah. the team and the All people right, well, and so, the publishers. So how did you go about actually starting this process? Well, I, you know, well first was despair, of course. I mean, because the thing is, I mean, <laughs> which is part of the reason I guess they didn't, you know, didn't have a lot of reservations because it was like, well, the thing we had was, you know, it wasn't a disaster, but it just wasn't popping, you know, and EA wasn't all that excited about it, yeah. and, and we weren't all that excited about it. And so then I was like, well, let's just give this a little life, right? And so I just started putting in science fiction-y things, and I said, okay, well, what are my favorite science fiction-y books? And, what are, and so read all of them again, yeah. kind of back-to-back, back, pounding them out. Can you just list out a couple uh, of ones? Yeah, okay. so, so Dune, sure, yeah. uh, which certainly you could say inspired the diplomatic side yep. of the game, yeah, uh, would be good. the core thing. Um, Frank Herbert had one other series, which I thought was absolutely excellent, and the, the key book in it was The Jesus Incident. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you read The Jesus Incident, you would probably recognize the inspiration for like the the world building the ecology of planet and the mind worms and things like that um probably the kim stanley robinson books well yes so so i read yeah bing gordon put me on to the to that i hadn't i hadn't run into those and so i read those yeah Yeah, i read those later and i was like oh that's sister miriam right 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 right. yeah 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 exactly so so that was um that was one and so, so picking up some inspiration for these things, and then I, and I decided, you know, somewhere around there, I decided, you know, we need, we need, you know, some, at least some more than just a fig leaf of some ecology and mm-hmm. so, some kind of science fiction backstory that makes sense. In other words, the science part of the science fiction to make this world make sense. And I found somebody online in one of the more civvy little gamey forums uh-huh. so that he, he's a British guy and he he recognized kind of quickly who I was mm-hmm. uh, in a way I didn't actually expect you because know, I wasn't advertising. Uh, I mean, I had my name, but not like what I was, whatever. I was just kind of asking some some questions about, uh, you know, alien ecologies. And he said, oh, I bet I know what this is for. <laughs> mean, I can help you. And you, you were doing that in the public forum? Like, yeah, and you saw on the, you know, Usenet news yeah, group. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was in some news group. But, but it was in a, it was in like a science-y news. I guess it sure. wasn't a gaming news group. You know, I was just... It wasn't like on the Civ. But it was some guy with yeah. a science background yeah. recognized who I was. And yeah. even though this was way before you know, this was probably 1997 or something he he was like i bet i know what this is for and and he volunteered i said hey you know i i would pay you you know ten thousand dollars to uh or whatever to uh could you come up with a basic ecology and yep. why this you know, so, some stuff that makes sense you know here's a few things i want to have in the world here's a few you know here's what the issues are I, and I, at that point i did know okay and you know the planet itself is is going to turn out to be intelligent in a way, and so you know you got to work in that kind of. And, but but specifically, you know what is the, you know what's the orbital mechanics of um, of the actual Alpha Centauri system? You know, give me some planets that make some sense uh, for this weird. You know, binary star thing, and um, 
and you know the, the and the fact that there's going to be this you know the secondary state we even at some point we experimented with maybe having some game mechanics that like every 50 years um Alpha Centauri B got you know made this close oh. pass and that might change. I, I don't I don't think any of that made the final cut, but we, I certainly played with some prototyping of that stuff. And and so that was one side, like so. There's world building seemed like a clear way to get, and then there was the diplomatic. Like Dune made me really want to put some diplomacy in. Dune Dune for the inspiration to have the diplomacy and the the Les Miserables soundtrack for the the sense of the dialogue uh, okay. the, because because they come up with so that that particular play has some fantastic put downs and insults and uh, mm-hmm. uh, whereas you know, Dune when you when you scour it for actual diplomatic conversations between two people um, you can't find very many. Uh, the, 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 the one I can remember lifting directly was destroying him would be a service to humanity. <laughs> <laughs> that comes from the Baron Harkonnen in, in Dude. He, he said more or less, uh, more or less that. Um, but but I, I couldn't find much in Dune itself of actual, you know, the two leaders actually talking to each other and having a, a negotiation. It was more... You know, it was more these houses positioning in a yeah in a medieval feudal way, but yeah. um, and that each of the houses kind of had their own particular thing that that was a big priority. Absolutely, well, that certainly ultimately inspired uh, the way the factions went. But but it along the way there, I realized well we're needing we need to have some characters and mm-hmm. and you know that was way outside my all of this was outside my comfort zone by yeah. a by a huge shot. Other than you know, I was a science fiction reader, but but I certainly have no writing experience of that kind and um and, and so i just started trying to i tried, started trying to make stuff that was any good right and uh those little interludes that were little little story like yep. i wrote all of that um and it was just an attempt to kind of have some threads of of stuff but that was all it was all just way outside my country and those things took like hours and hours to write <laughs> and then um, all the Frank Herbert books uh-huh. have those little, I think he calls them like epigraphs, yeah. little things at the beginning of the chapter like where somebody the says the one thing. Some quote from like, yeah, some quote from, from a, right. And, and I loved those. Yeah, I thought okay. those were fantastic. And I thought, hey, that's, that's, you know, like those little interludes just took so long and I had to think that just to try to make them any good at all. And they were so much work. And, and, and you know, the end, you know, there was only so much of them. But I was like, those, you know, I could, I could pop those out. Like yeah. I could make some of those and I could look, I could, that was where I got the idea. I could bring in, you know, because I am trained as a philosopher. <laughs> <laughs> I have a degree. And, and so, and, you know, so some of those data links things are, you know, from Aristotle and, and Nietzsche and stuff like that. It's like, okay, nah. and that was when I said, okay, that was where it really started to click and things started to fit together as opposed to, well, we need to have a world. We need to have some characters. We need to have some story. It's the fact that, these could all overlap and interact with each other. And I think that was where the magic happened with Alpha Centauri was that each of these, whereas in civilization, so there were some things, you know, whereas we lost some things going from civilization, we couldn't lean on everybody's knowledge of history. On the other hand, 
go into, you know, history, you can't do strong characters because everybody's kind of complicated and, and they're very specifically historical. And we don't always know what their personality was. Right. We just know who they conquered. And the time frame. Is and the time frame. And, and they never actually interacted with each other. Right. <laughs> the, the number of conversations that Ab- Abraham Lincoln and uh, Napoleon and Gandhi had together were, <laughs> were, were, yeah. a, were a very round number. Yeah. Well, it's so, tough. I mean, we don't talk about it a lot, but there's sort of this inherent goofiness to Civ that you just can't, right. you just can't get around. Right. Right. But that's because it was a sandbox. And it was okay because it was yep. totally presented as a sandbox. And so, yeah, you're just picking up the... The army men and and playing them with each other. But we were discovering, hey, well, we found all the weaknesses in the science fiction topic, but now we're finding the strengths. So every every character, every faction is going to have a character, and the character is going to have, you know... A story, or at least an agenda, is going to have a philosophy. That was at the time, you know. I, I mean, I, if I did it today, I would probably have more story. I mean, I'm, I'm further along in my evolution, but, but at the time, I, it was enough for me just to get to each. They're going to have a philosophy. And they're yeah. going to have an agenda, and so therefore, because we had struggled with the construct your own government feature as well. That oh, we can have the governments relate to the philosophies mm-hmm. and make it impossible to match everybody's philosophy. Yeah. So, so that was where the little thing, that, which I thought made the diplomacy so much more interesting than in civilization. Because civilization, especially if you go back to the very beginning, it was just, well, I'm stronger than you, so pay yeah. me tribute or I'm attacking you. And, and that was basically it. And, and it wasn't, there wasn't a lot more to that. And, and Civ so too, you know, we added little fripperies to it, and we had that little boundary around your city that was kind of the first step to national boundaries. Ironically, it was actually Alpha Centauri that was the first game with yep. true national borders. But suddenly there were these other like other stuff you did in the game like that wasn't directly talking to someone in diplomacy affected your relationship with them. Like... So Lady Deidre was very environmental, and so your not just your position on that, but you know, actual game mechanic related steps you took affected her um, her opinion toward you. So if you were either trying to stave her off from attacking you, or get her to be your ally, to, or be your pawn, or just to give you a technology you wanted. Right. You would be in a very different play, and the, you know the story would play out differently. And of course, we got to come up with fantastic, different, very character-specific insults for each of them to yep. give each other, and and that, and then you know it, it seemed to kind of bring them alive. And then those little epigram, we called them the blurbs, the yep. little sayings, uh, really. Uh, and you know, Mike Ely did this brilliant job on casting, like finding mm-hmm. these. Uh, he got those people for really cheap, but he. He got people with authentic accents, mm-hmm. and but that could really deliver some, deliver some good lines, and those things just kind of brought the world alive. Yep. Uh, well, those quotes are great because they are. It's not too much, right? Right. It just suggests right. something. Well, it makes you imagine a lot more than is actually you guys had to actually write down. Yeah, without, and be, yes, that was the, that was exactly the idea. Is it, it without having to write a five hundred page novel that no one have. A time to read anyway right. we we created the sense that there was a lot of there was important stuff you know intellectually important stuff going on out there and because it was 
read aloud by these cool voice actors, which was, you know, still, it wasn't cutting edge at the time, but it was, it was cutting edge for a, <laughs> for a turn-based strategy game. It, it seeped into you yeah. while you were still playing the game. Like, you didn't have to stop. Well, you did with the Wonder movies, but you kind of, those were the treats. You know, those were the rewards for doing something big. But it would, you discovered a technology, and it would start reading the thing, and you could go on and start clicking and start moving units, but there would still be, yeah. you know, Proven Law would still be nattering on about something. And so it, they kind of started sticking yeah. in your brain. That's interesting, because that actually also has folded back into Civ. Right, like because the tech quotes are now kind of like a standard. Right, right, right. So it turned out to be a good feature, and I guess it. You know, I I mean, I didn't, I didn't really make it very far into any future Civ teams, but, but, but yeah, yeah, it. it, It was obviously a compelling feature, uh, and and you know, one that can work in a um, in a historical in our historical setting too. You know, it's not setting character and world building, but it is kind of just. But the idea of just kind of leaking it in, and I'll tell you, somebody else who said they were somewhat inspired by that, and I was absolutely floored and honored, uh, was was year, was years later I ran into Ken Levine. Okay, and yeah. so, you know, 10 li- years later they're doing Bioshock, yep. and you remember, you pick up those recordings, yep. and... You're listening to them while oh, you're, you're while you're killing the next yeah. splicer, right? Yep, and, yep. and so... And and so much of that world, you know, there's not a lot of direct interaction with you know you you meet Andrew Ryan briefly in person, but it's mostly these little these little things. And uh, and again, you know, of course, they probably also discovered the other good thing, which is that's actually a really cheap way to do your <laughs> <laughs> to, to do your uh, production value because right, yeah. you have to do a you have to do some work on the writing end, yep. but but you know you can do that uh, and it, it, like and so the. Alpha and Tiger blurbs, you know, I probably wrote, you know, a little over half of them, and Tim wrote some, and Mike yeah. Ely wrote a few. You know, we kind of, uh, you know, splooged them around the the office a little bit, but yeah. but it was all it, it was all, and then people were mostly just doing them because that was cool, right? Yeah. You know, it wasn't like okay, oh God, I have to write a hundred. I, I was the only one. I was like, I was I was the one saying, oh God, I have to write three hundred of these, and so I was like, anybody got any ideas? Because you know, yeah, I, I, I'm I've done a hundred and sixty, and I'm like, you know, getting a little tapped out here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But huh, uh, that's really interesting. I think Bioshock had that influence because I always think that's a those blurbs are kind of hilarious because they make they make no sense like it was very fictionally like <laughs> people make jokes about this like I'm you know I make all these audio tapes and I just scatter them around the room oh I, oh well the, the existence of them doesn't make any sense but the stuff that comes out of yeah, them yeah. is profound well, the like, thing is nobody cares because when you're playing the game you're like well this is great right. I'm, I'm having fun yeah, and right. I'm getting the world well, and, like, and, yeah, and the world was seeping into your brain right, right, and right. you know when I, I've actually gone back recently I played the Bioshock Remastered mm-hmm. and that stuff is fantastic and the storytelling is actually really subtle and cool and you go back and you realize oh wait a minute this this person that's obviously dead now uh and and left me this tape that's her skeleton right, right. you know that's that's where she expired yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and so and this is this is somebody that i've followed ever since the first uh yeah, yeah. you know the first little restaurant i are and, and you, you get all the way toward the end and you find her skeleton there yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it, it's it's and it's fantastic and and of course and and that game also had the idea of this you know this it was like 
let's go all the way down the rabbit hole on a philosophy and yeah, and yeah. you know just make you eat all the <laughs> make you eat your philosophy yeah, yeah. kind of. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you think you'd like this, would you? Well, let me show you the logical implications. <laughs> so, you know, it was just, and I love that. You know, so it was fantastic that that a game that I loved, mm-hmm. uh, you know, if if any amount of that was leaked in from uh, from Alpha Centauri, even just in the presentation, you know, hey, look, there there's somebody did a presentation, and so the fact that I contributed anything to a story game <laughs> <laughs> sure. ever is is is, is I, I love that. So yeah, that's cool. Um, well, I, I'll also say that like if someone asks me like what's the you know the, the main thing to take out from Alpha Centauri, like I think like the diplomacy part was like hugely important. Yeah, because. Um, before in a Civ game, it was just kind of arbitrarily who liked you or didn't like you, which, right. which meant basically everyone had to dislike you because there was no right. particular reason why they would like you, right? There was no... Right, yeah. Well, in Civ 2, there was a little mechanic because um, we didn't have national borders right. yet. Um, or was this actually... Was it only in Alpha Star for the first time? I, one, of those, one of the two games I worked on, you know, one of those games I worked on, um, we had the sense of... We, we always knew if you were on the same continent as them. Yeah, I'm sure. So, but we also knew at some point I noticed, hey, I can know if I'm on the same continent but not adjacent. Not in other course. words, there's somebody else between yeah, us. Yeah, yeah. And those were the people. I think when I was looking for a reason in Civ Two yeah. to make anybody do an alliance with you, it was kind of the enemy of my enemy yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, it was all – it was totally – it was a little bit one-dimensional, yeah. Yeah. and and generally speaking, a lot of people's approach, a lot of players' approach to the game is like, okay, I just got to try and make sure I make everybody happy, right? Right, and right. usually that just meant giving them stuff, yeah, right. Whereas Elf Centauri puts you in a position where like, okay, you're going to have to make a choice. You cannot make everybody happy yeah. because you cannot. At some point, simultaneously be an industrialist and uh, environmentalist yeah. or, or whatever. There were like three pairings, basically, yeah. of actions. And, and so there were, the there were always, there were, yeah, so, so we would, and of course you would end up in one of them and, and you could, you you weren't constrained by your nominal, you know, if you played Proven Law, you were not constrained by, you know, you got to set yeah. your own agenda, but... So your the the foil for Proven Law wouldn't necessarily be uh, be your enemy, but there'd always be these other two pairs yeah. that would, by definition, hate each other. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't know. I, I don't know if this was my imagination or not, but I felt like I had a few times I got a situation where like I was trying to keep them both happy, and the end result was that neither of them were happy. Right. With me. Right, right. Yeah. So, right. Like, it's, it's, right. It's you know you shouldn't even try to balance it. Right. Point, you and, make a choice. And, and that wasn't something that we you know we weren't setting that up as a requirement. It just is what fell out of it. You know, again, we were in our way making a sandbox yeah. and just tuning it until it felt fun and compelling. And I'll tell you that like by the end of Alpha Centauri, so at the end of Civ Two. Like I took a week off of work, or you know, at work, <laughs> I took a workcation and just played Civ Two because I finally wanted to just enjoy it, and I loved the game. I'd always loved Civ, and that was just kind of like the the valedictory week yep. for working on a Civ game. I hated Alpha Centauri at the end. Like I did <laughs> not enjoy. Really? Like I didn't enjoy. I never liked the map and the look of the war. I never liked the look. I never liked the interface. I mean, I just... What didn't you like about it? Was I, it just I, too harsh? I, I guess it was hard. It, you know, it just wasn't... It wasn't magical to me. And But I loved... 
the diplomacy and the characters and the story. So at the end of it, I felt really proud of the story and the characters and the diplomacy and the interaction. You know, even the government, I mean, the government thing was a little bit complicated-ish, but out of that, you know, the little grid yeah. did come it some... Was like it was a nice idea and it fit, it fit in with... It, it fit. It, it helped glue a lot of the stuff together. I was really proud of the world building, you know, even the stuff that was, you know, obviously... Um, kind of cribbed from Frank Herbert and stuff. It was still, you know, hey, we, we made a cool game about it, and um, and you know, it, it, it's a lot more Dune than the the actual Dune game. You know, <laughs> captured the spirit, I think, right, of, of sure, Dune yeah, more yeah. than the Dune games did. So, so I was part of all those things, but I absolutely hated the gameplay. I just didn't, I didn't enjoy <laughs> it. Now, now, you know, Tim loved it. Yeah, there, there were many that did. So, so it's funny that I was actually caught in the Alf Centauri thing. That for me. It was a very. What did a, you not like about the gameplay? I don't know. Um, you know the the units were kind of off putting because it was, it was all that construct your own units, so they yeah, all just look kind of bland. They all yeah, blandly big laser. Uh, I, you know, I, I if I so you know if I could go back to 1996 as a as a 50 year old <laughs> and uh, instead of a 30 year old and uh, and it was going into the, the thing again you know, I, I would I would think well you know each faction ought to have its own units right I mean I would I would if I knew in advance what the ma- where the magic was going to be, yeah. then we would have gone for it from the beginning. Obviously, I mean that you know that's the the great pitfall of you know the um, the evolutionary prototyping Sid Meier school of design, right? Yeah. Is that you often find the best crap, you know, after a year and a half. <laughs> You've got, you know, back in those days, you got six months left, you know, yeah, or, yeah. And, or, you know, or, or you can slip it to nine months and EA is like, uh, wondering if they should send you another check and all, you know. They, well, if you're constantly iterating, you're making these small improvements. Right. You're like, making small improvements. Rarely but, you're going to be like, we're just going to throw out the whole unit workshop. But you right? can't, right, right. Yeah, you, you, and it's hot and you've invested, you've probably yeah. already paid the licensing fee for, for voxels or whatever it was we were using <laughs> to do. I mean, we had yeah. some. Yep piece of technology that was so that we could fit the units together and then sprite them around whatever it was we were doing i mean you know we were it did just the realities of game production um yeah, yeah I think e- of- even then even 20 years ago even more so now but but yeah. even then was you know back when you know the shockingly expensive price tag for alice Tire was something like three and a half million dollars i mean you know it, it left us gasping that we yeah. had spent that much money yeah. uh making a game and yeah, I think Civ Two was probably half a million dollars, like yeah. you know, maybe seven fifty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, so, so you know, we were that's what you know, from from that perspective, you know, three million yeah. looks you know pretty shocking. Well, when but, Team, which and you you had never made a project that big at that point, so you probably didn't appreciate this at the time. But like as the team gets bigger. When you're talking about game development, you're talking about all these multiple tracks that are moving forward in parallel. Oh, yeah, and turning right? the battleship and is so the, hard. I mean, like, I can't even conceive of what it's like to work on, like, the Assassin's Creed games. Yeah. Because presumably they have to spin up all of the different parts of the game at the same time. Like, have right. all these different teams working on these different parts, and there's... There's nothing at a high level of like, okay, we just need to kill this whole. Right, this yeah, whole yeah. They got they got to bring France. them all in on the same glide like, slope. Yeah, like, yeah. We We're coming this. in hot. Yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> like that's so crazy because yeah so you had parts of Alcantari that were like well this right. this was a seed that got planted in the beginning we're still working right. on it and it was it'll it, come we in. were stuck with it right yeah. I mean and the thing was we were making progress on other things like good pro like I was like wow diplomacy is actually getting pretty cool yep. you know I would enjoy getting into the diplomacy part and it's like hey this is this part I'm liking and and you know the occasional mechanic like um, whenever it was that national borders went in it was like instantly oh my god how did we not do this five years ago you know it's just it, it's, it was something as soon as you saw it like as soon as the very first time yep. the map came up is like holy fuck like what were we ever thinking not to have this because yep. it was so easy it would i mean almost all of the code to do it already existed like yeah. you know all the way back to civ one because you remember the civ one the little Replay showed the country borders moving. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. That was literally was it was in the game. Yeah, yeah, like yeah, when we yeah. decided when we decided to <laughs> to, to put those into thing. I was like, oh yeah, I know how to do this. It's just because all he did was um, like his original replay was just um, distance, distance to, to nearest, nearest city, city. Yeah, yeah. real quick using his infamous um, distance calculator, which didn't take square root. To, <laughs> like you know, like you know, the distance diagonally was so, sort of like you know double the long, the big one, and right, you know, right, or right. <laughs> plus wow. the other one. You know, it was the it was the fake square rooty system, which is you know why it had some artifacts. But uh, uh, you know, back when processors weren't as fast, but yeah, yeah. but but yeah, that, that was that was Civ One already had the technology, and it was just until you see the thing and you see the board, and like. Oh, if you step over that line, it means something. Fuck you, right? You know, it's just uh, that was uh, that it was just so psychological to see it that it was like, okay, now we're now we're having these forever, um, but maybe not in the water anymore. You know, <laughs> right? Uh, so, so that was that was uh, you know, there was stuff going on, but but the thing is, it, just the amount of battleship turning we were doing. Was at the extreme, you know, eight on the Richter scale amount, you know, even by, you know, Firaxis-y standards of, you know, where you know you're going into a Siddish game, and so you know there's going to be a lot, you know, everybody's all like, you know, the artists are all beaten down, just going into it because they know, (laughs) they know nothing, they they know they're going to have to do everything over at least twice, you know, (laughs) if you're if you're making one of these games because because we're going to turn the battleship a lot, but we had already put in the characters, we'd put in the the giant craters we'd put in the um, the government, you know. So just the you know when we're like, yeah. So now there's so now there's characters. See, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there was just going in and saying, okay, and so they're all going to need each need to have their own technology trees and units. Would have just been you know that just wasn't. Uh, it's what it's what you do today if you had twenty million dollars to make a game, you know, right. which is. Um, you I mean, know, were, you, things. were you were you when you say you weren't happy with the gameplay? Were you okay with still the the, the basic Civ formula? Oh, sure. No, I mean, I, I knew and it. I knew it was you know I, the the basic formula is great. And it, you know, I I was uh, before before I even arrived at Microprose, and you know, I arrived right when Civ One was starting to be made. Uh, I was a big Empire player, which yep. of course is where the core, Idea the core from. gameplay mechanic, you know, the cities and units and one more move thing actually comes from Empire. Yeah, uh, I was a, a big Empire. You know, I've always loved that that thing. You, know, it may be that after Civ Two, that I was just done with it. I, I was, you know, it just moved on to other things. I, I hadn't been inspired by something else yet, but I, maybe I was just a little tired of that. But I just didn't feel like. 
we executed that very well. I mean, I realize I, this is a, you know, it's not what everybody's opinion was. And, yeah. and you know, Tim will to this day say he thinks the, well, the think whole the, thing was really good. Yeah, you know? I think the improvements in terraforming was mm-hmm. pretty interesting. Um, I mean, it seemed doubtful that the AI was taking advantage of it right. as well as the player. Sure, I'll just sure. sure. Yep. Yep. Um, but, but, but to some extent, that's not super important. It was mm-hmm. fun for the player right. to do. Right, right, right. And that, yeah, the combat of the units got really bland. Because, yeah, yeah, like, right. And, and I think all, I, I probably never recovered from the fact that I that I hated the units. Yeah. <laughs> and I didn't just hate them. It's tough because it was it was not great gameplay wise, and it was the worst part was probably the art side. Well, that's the, see, I, I, I hated the, the art. I mean, which one of the artists fault? It was the fact yeah. that we told them they had to make these units where you could glue different lasers yeah. on. I mean, you know, and you know, I know more now. I mean, you know, remember, I went into this game. I was twenty nine years old, and you know, yeah. um, you can you can make a magnum opus, and when you're twenty nine, but you can also turn out to still not know some things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and well, it's yeah. a great it's a great marketing hook. Right, That's right, yeah, yeah. Well, and, now, oh, God, that was, and that was actually part huh. of the reason we were stuck with it because yeah. it was one of those. So. I, I, I'm sure I told you the story with with Civ Two. You know, people would come in. You know, that was how we ended up with our thirty eight thousand. For they come to look at the game and they'd say, "Oh, well, so this is just Civilization for Windows." And like they, you, <laughs> they literally couldn't think of anything else that was, and it was just hard to communicate. Yeah. It's like, no, it's it's Civ One, except it's fucking awesome. You know, but but there is no way to put that into five bullet points or whatever it is, four bullet points to the back of the box. Yeah. And so we had to have some goddamn bullet points to the back of the box. And of course, I remember, I think the thing that ultimately locked us into those units was when Total Annihilation came out, because mm. you know they saw it like. And Total Annihilation like started shipping a unit a week and whatever. I mean, Total Annihilation was a great game. It was yeah. appropriate for them, yeah. uh, given what they did. It, but it was one of those things where, well, then like the publishers were like, well, why aren't you guys like them? Why can't we ship a unit a week? You know, why, why can't we? You know, and it just, you know, it just made it all a nightmare. And and like you said, it wasn't just the hay of the art, hay of the gameplay. You know, it, it was just it made them all very generically. Okay, now this number got bigger. It, plus, you weren't locked into any things. It was where both you, complicated and uninteresting. And uninteresting, right? Because you just took the thing you wanted yeah. and you made a whole bunch. Okay, I want a whole bunch of things that only defend. I want a whole bunch of things that only attack. Yeah. What's you the know, best? Like attack? that even makes That's any sense, about. right? Yeah. What's the best attack? And whereas you know, as you go along and sieve, you get these weird. You know, even there where you have one tech track for everybody, or at least you did, you know, in my day. I don't, I don't know. What, I haven't actually played Civ Six, but uh, the but you'd get these sort of lopsidedly different things. Yeah. You had to kind of work with them. It's like, okay, well, that attacks a little, it defends a little. That attacks a lot, but good yeah. God, if it ever it, 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 it had a little bit of flavor. It had, at right. least had some. And by the time you get to Civ Four, you have spearmen that are good against horses, and right, yeah, good you start to get a little get rock like, paper scissory things. Like, yeah, the location matters in different weird ways. Yeah, right? yeah exactly. All that stuff right, was, you know, had, was missing because it had to be so modular. So. Right, right, yeah. No, it was, it was completely it was completely dry, and whereas of course, see. If I had been able to do it in hindsight, and the um, you know the Gaians had completely different units right. from the Spartans, then not only would they have completely different units, but they would have they would have both strengths and weaknesses, right? They would some of them would have units that they, they, they couldn't get each other's things, and they'd they'd be a little rock paper scissory to each other, and you'd have to kind of you know more like. 
Yeah. Um, well, and then they were you know, the, the one... other brilliant game that came out in 1997, which was StarCraft. Sure. You know? <laughs> It's all about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah right, yeah, yeah. right. Well, yeah, so if only we'd made it a little more like StarCraft, you know, <laughs> except yeah, not in yeah. real time, then, huh. yeah, but we didn't know that then, you know, because by the time we, by the time we got to the point where we realized, you know, that was one thing we didn't get to glue back into the world in the most appropriate way. Yeah. So we, you know, we were stuck with it, we lived with it, you know, games sold enough copies that we all still had jobs. <laughs> Well, we got embarrassingly high reviews in yeah, magazines yeah. that we didn't deserve, <laughs> in my opinion. Yeah, but yeah. well, I'll say this: there's a couple, there's a couple really key things that came that I put into Civ Four that mm-hmm. came directly from Alpha Centauri. Right? Mm. Like so, you know, I knew I wanted to get religion in, and uh-huh. I, was, I was like trying to figure out what was the purpose of religion, and basically, right. religion was my substitute for the like faction philosophies. Right, right. It right. was like a reason why. One Civ might like you, another Civ might not right. like you, or you have to make a choice, right? right? Like the the French to your west are Buddhist, right? And the Germans to your east are uh, Christian, right. right? And you're going to have to pick a uh, state religion, yep. Yep. and right, like you're not going to make them both happy, right. right? And and even though it's like Buddhist French, it's still a little bit like you know it reminds you, of, yeah, we had Reformation wars and things, which is you know over a slightly more subtle flavor, but but yeah, it oh, yeah. totally makes sense well, as people, a people got endless. Pleasures of making the Arabs Jewish. I mean, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Of course they did. Just like Gandhi with nukes. Yeah, because yeah, 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 yeah. Gandhi always has to nuke you into into smithereens. And yeah, yeah. yeah I, I guess they. I and guess the other, the other thing that. that you know you can clearly see was the civic system is mm-hmm. for you know comes right from the social policies. And I think that mm-hmm. I think you know maybe this is where I mean. So the one thing about that that wasn't maybe so great was it was just kind of numbers going up and down. Mm-hmm. Right, whether the civics and four, we made each each one of the like five choices in the category was totally distinct. Sure, yeah, yeah, they, they were more um, right. They weren't customized your own. You, right. you hadn't fallen into our. It, in the, you had the benefit of the hindsight of uh, not falling into our customize your own grid. You yeah, know, yeah. crap. <laughs> yeah. But I, I love the idea of like basically rolling your own government. Yes, and, right? yeah, like, yeah. You know, like a government shouldn't just be one thing. Yeah, you know, it's, pick it's, some it's pieces picture. of stuff and then be forced into some things that you weren't quite. You know, make government messy and complicated, like like it actually is a little bit. You know, in, in our in our fictional way, you know, make you have to make some unpleasant choices. Right. Um, yeah. You know. Do you do you steal the the medicine to save the yep. the, the, the save the starving child? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. cool. Um, all right. Well, that probably covers most of Al Centauri. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Um, I guess then that was it. At first. Well, that was so, it. Well, I mean, there was six months of Civ three ish stuff. Right. I mean, we we ended up signing. You know, EA was only so. Um, Committed. They were only so committed. I mean, they, they weren't dropping us, but they weren't. They didn't. They weren't as excited. Now, did they? Did the mark? What changed? I mean, did well? I mean, I think, I think Alpha Centauri did okay, yeah. but it didn't do enough for them to also fund. You know, to it wasn't like it was holding down the budget for also funding. So, so I, I guess the fact that they weren't sure they wanted to do whatever the next experimental game was yeah. with us, which might have been another Civil War game. Um, you know, got you know, got our kind of company position. Well, may you know what? Hmm, you know, they're not. They don't seem fully committed or whatever. Uh, I remember there was not. I actually got to go talk to 
go out and talk to the Westwood guys, you, you uh-huh. know, that were part of EA then yeah. about maybe doing an actual Dune game mm-hmm. um, for, um, you know, instead of uh, this was before Civ Three was a thing, and of course EA didn't have Civ Three. Um, so maybe doing an actual Dune licensed thing, and you know, I was learning about all the complexities. Oh, well, do you license the movie or the book? It turned out like they actually had the movie license. I was like, well, what about the books? Because the books were the ones that what I thought was cool, you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, and and you know, then there was the fact that of course, well, they had to pay the licensor, so they wanted to pay us less, but they wanted to pay us a lot less. You know, what I thought was a lot less. I even thought you know, it wasn't just like other people. I, I thought it was like, wow, that's like a you're charging a lot for that, and then we're probably also going to have to pay the Dune, you know, the actual Brian Herbert or whatever, uh, yeah. something, especially if we're going to also license the books. It was like, I'm not sure, you know, maybe that could have worked, but, but you know, that was a lot of, when you not only have an IP holder, but then like a, a side other different flavor of the same IP holder, and, and then you've got the guardian of that within the publisher that that's, you know, because they had gotten to them you know because westwood had the you know the dune 2 and all yep. that stuff so they kind of were the you know they had the relationship it, it was just it was very complicated and then there's this like or we could go home you know because <laughs> at that point i think spectrum holobyte either went bankrupt or got sold what somehow hasbro company. ended up oh and hasbro had been the refuge of a bunch of all it, of the microprose executives that we liked, oh, really? okay. <laughs> you know the the older, you know, an older flavor of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of them had had seeded there, and so we were basically cutting a deal, you know, cutting a deal with a friend at that point. Instead of you know this kind of very snipey, angry legal letter relationship we'd had with the Microprose. with the spectrum, well, with, with the, the, yeah, with the spectrum Holobrite yeah, yeah, yeah. people. As soon as they were gone. Um. Then suddenly it was all you know. Suddenly it made business. You know, and of course, at, at other. So it was, it was really just the personal animosities between you know the Fraxy people and the Spectrum Holobyte yep. executives that that kept because obviously from an aesthetic point of view, of course you want you know Sid's company to be doing the damn civilization yeah. game it's his most famous thing and everybody associates him with it and why why on earth you know if, if they want to do it why wouldn't you want him to do it yeah. when and you guys, when you guys started fraxis did you guys even imagine that that might happen? never ever no 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 we we thought you know it was a choice between either either it's going to be 10 years in a courtroom or we're just going to hate each other quietly one way or the other you know right yeah. i mean we still had good relationships with, with the people in yeah. the office from the thing sure. you know, I, I remember um, uh, you know, Carrie Wilkinson was the guy that was ended up being in charge of. Um, he inherited the code, the Civ Two code base, and to put out because they did a lot of yeah. X packs yep. for that. And I, you know, I remember having a big long conversation, and I told him all the stuff I knew yep. and answered his, you know, what you know, we were we were friendly at a you know at a at a dev level, but yep. but we at the business level, you know, or an executive level, not friendly. Um. And so, no, we never, never dreamed that there would ever be, a, and especially because you know, at the time there was also Call to Power was out, oh, like geez. you know that that was like Activision, like they had kind of end run the license, some you know they what got, the, guys, and, and then there was the dueling licenses, where you know like. 
What did you guys think about that when that started to happen? Like, um, I mean, in a sense, you guys didn't have Civ anyway, so it wasn't. Well, in a sense, we didn't have it anyway. Um, but they did. They were kind of aggressively positioning it against Alvis and Tari. So yeah. you know, that got. I, I would say it never got more than a little tense. I mean, we were a little bit. Okay, right. You're gonna do a Civ game. You know, good luck with that. You know, you, yeah. you're gonna do a Civ. Like we were totally. Oh yeah, you know, Micropro is gonna have no problem putting out a bunch of X Pack to Civ Two, and maybe they'll eventually get a Civ. You know, because we felt like for that Civ Two did kind of chart a course for how to sequelize yep. Civ. They'll be able to do something. They'll make money. You know, and and it seemed. You know, it's legitimate when the the original developers leave that they then put somebody else on it. But but like somebody coming out of nowhere and saying, "Yeah, so uh, so this is an official city." You know, and they were they were so they weren't they didn't. I guess we the team never felt like they um, approached it with enough humility. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> and maybe they would say they they had another choice, you know, or yeah. or maybe they thought they did, and, and we just weren't we just weren't feeling the love. But yeah. but it was the sort of no, yeah, this is a this is a this is a game in the Civilization series, right. you know. Right. They weren't like oh well, you know, we got you know we're gonna do honor to that, but you know we're really a different thing and a different and we know and whatever. Now, they, they were very hard. I know this is a Civilization game. They were. You know, and and you know that, yeah. that was I, well you know from a business sense it makes yeah, yeah. Uh, if, you know totally I mean if, if you're not a, feel like too much of a you know crazy person to yeah. say it well you know, if you're yeah. a marketing guy and you know they actually, they actually had a brilliant you know what we when we almost signed with Activision with Veractus you know what we liked was they had a brilliant marketing guy I can't remember <laughs> what his name was um, but you know but he was also you know uh, you know he was the <laughs> yep. he, I think he was you know kind of the architect of the uh, right. Um, of the whole, you know, Call well, of Power is a civilization game. But, but of course, you know, when we, we, we were we're thinking, good. maybe we ought to get us some of that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I could see how we could <laughs> have, yeah. a, have, a, have that good of a marketing guy. But. Yeah, if you guys had signed with Activision, I'm sure that would have been... Oh, yeah, I'm sure. Uh, yeah, well, well, that see, that would have been an invitation to really spend a lot of time in court. Yeah, you know, that, sure. <laughs> yeah. Good God, what a, yeah. what a nightmare that would have been. Uh yeah, it was a weird times. There were literally three dueling um Yeah, and, then, and, and fortunately, you know, that was that was one situation where one of the few I've ever seen where the aesthetically right result actually won sure. out. You know, like that somehow the business, you know, intellectual property lawyer side of things, it just over over that decade of the two thousands just kind of subsided. Yeah. And coalesced into what year did Civ 3 ship like 2003 2001 oh that soon so really it was in the late 90s it was just a very quick yeah quick time then when what had been this total three or four different entity total you could have just seen that been just a total mess forever and never Yep. Rejoin the way that Alpha Centauri probably is a total mess forever, and and you know because like <laughs> we'll never come EA up. has the yep. owns the IP, but Firaxis is the sort of creator, yeah, and yeah. and it's now owned by a different you know I mean which is this is too bad, yeah. but um, yeah the um, what was I going to say 
Um, yeah, and the weird part about that is, you know, there was all this interest in, like, all these people trying to get a chunk of the Civ pie. Right. And since then, for, what, 18 years or whatever. Right, and no now it's just, it's a thing, just right. It's totally unchallenged. Yeah, no yeah, right. Trying. It's now the, you know, it's the consolidated, it's sort of, well, you know, it's like World of Warcraft. It's the World of Warcraft of turn-based strategy games, right? You know, it's just like, okay, nobody ever needs to make one of these again, you know. <laughs> <laughs> they just need to maintain it, and and it's done, right? So, so in a way, you know, uh, you know Sid was right. When, Sid was right when he uh, felt like, wow, after Civ one, you know, like what else do you do after you've made a game about all history, right? You know, <laughs> that it was. Uh, he felt like, well, that might kind of be the be all and end all of a particular kind of game, and <laughs> well, <laughs> took him a while to get his inspiration again. Now we did, you did kind of like refer to a point that I mm-hmm. think probably people would be interested in, mm-hmm. like. Alpha Centauri 2, is that something you ever think about? Oh, well, um, I mean, it was certainly something that was, you know, back in the 90s, you know, at the end of the 90s was was discussed a little bit with, with you know, EA and stuff. But I don't know if I would do that. Out. I would love to revisit the world. Okay. I would personally love, you know, the parts of the game I remember. I didn't like the gameplay so much. Um, I mean, I like aspects of the gameplay and the way they glued together but i i loved the way that there was this storytelling this war i loved the world that we made yeah. uh and i liked a lot of the characters you know some of them were maybe a little bit too caricature or whatever you know if i had it to go back and do over i would i'd make them better i mean just like everybody that ever made anything creative they'd probably go back and yeah. and make it better if they could but if I ever got to revisit, you know, I, I'd much rather revisit it as like a role-playing game or something hmm. like that. You right. know, I'd like to get into a a I, I'd like to revisit that world in a kind of game that fits storytelling yeah. better, right? Yeah, and, that makes sense. I remember when and I, I'm not sure that's what you know the fans for. would really yeah. want, and, and so it, it probably makes no sense whatsoever from. From an IP point of view, yeah. you know, like any kind of marketing person would say, you know, you know, if you want to do that, then what I would really need to do is make a whole new world that's, you know, if I want to do science fiction and storytelling and colonizing a planet or whatever, um, then just make a new IP and then it'll make some sense and you won't have everybody like, you know, getting all meta about what the hell is he even doing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so I love the... I love the world. I love the characters. Um, you know, I'm. You know, it's bittersweet that it. Yeah, I ended up that's probably of, the hardest part to get, right? Like, right, because that's the, like the actual IP. Is well, the, except is that, that is a. The, the funny thing is that, that if you just wanted that, it would be you'd have no problem probably because I think EA might own that lock, stock, and barrel. Like right. it might be something that one could cut a deal with EA. Right. Um, I'm not sure. You know, again, that's like you know, there's there. It's probably massive legal documents somewhere, and, yeah, yeah, and yeah. maybe I even signed them. <laughs> but for all I know, I, I probably didn't. I probably didn't. I, the, the relationship between the two companies, I, I probably, I, but I probably read it. You know, there's, there's probably, I mean, it was probably something pretty thick. Those publishing agreements are yeah, yeah, are yeah. heavy. If you've, you know, you've, I'm sure, <laughs> yeah, yeah. encountered them in your time. Yeah, now, uh, now would be buried deep in the bowels of. Yeah. Anyway. So. Right. Yeah. Well, they'd be able to find it. You know, those big companies like that—they've got archives. And, you know, they got. They got. They know how to. Because you know, we encounter that some with, uh, like, with Hasbro. They were like, "Oh yeah, we own all the Evelyn Hill stuff." You know, yeah. if you want to make a, you know, a Third Reich game, they, they were actively. You know, no, they, they, yeah. Any of these companies can. In fact, I think there were some weird, like EA somehow owned. Do you remember Deluxe Paint too? Like yeah, D Paint, yeah. Sure. yeah. 
they somehow ended up owning that. Like by, at the time we were, mm-hmm. and as part of our deal on Alice and Tari, like just a little side, a side flourish, I said, "Could you send us a source code? Because <laughs> I want to like change a couple things in the interface." Right. And they did. They said, you know, they just like dug, you know, and that was like a, I mean, it was basically a dead product at that yeah, point. Yeah. But they said, "Oh, sure, yeah, we'll." Pull it out of the, you know, yeah, yeah, pull yeah. it out of the vault, and and here's your D-Paint source code and and stuff, and you know it was kind of fun to look over it and just yeah, yeah. see, oh, that's well, that's cool. because that's they're a living company. Like the flip side of that is, right. there's a lot of companies from the 80s and 90s yes. that just completely died. Right. It just, you it would be really hard to. There's right. no one who there's no one whose job is to keep track of that stuff. Right. So. Like yeah. So like when THQ vaporized, yeah, yeah like. Where is that stuff now? I have no idea. Sometimes some of that, you know, sometimes some of that stuff, you know, people can buy, you know, when Avalon Hill went, yep. you can get the, um, you know, Hasbro had it for a while. And I think like multi-man publishing has it now, you know, it, you can, sometimes you can buy these old libraries of things, but yeah, you know, it, it's kind of weird because then it's not the same, but that sometimes it means you can actually strike a deal with, you know, the yep. funny thing is you can sometimes um, actually make a deal for these things. Um, so anyway, it might be, Theoretically possible to go get that, but I would assume that, um, you know, if I ever had the opportunity to make a cool science fiction-y role-playing game, that the right thing to do would be to, um, um, you know, make a new world. So, yeah, yeah. Hmm. I would okay. probably do that. But but I would I would be thinking about some of the things that made Alpha Star successful, and, right. you know, I would have new cool characters and philosophies that... <laughs> Cool. That uh, that did stuff, yeah. Cool. All right. Um, so we were talking about the end of your time at Firaxis, mm-hmm. but you had, you guys had made things work with Hasbro. Made things work with Hasbro, and so I started on a Civ three prototype, yep. um, and the idea was, okay, well, um, we got a... I think they actually sent us the Civ two source code at that point, right. so we could have whatever, but at that point, there was a lot of stuff we wanted from... Mechanically, from Alpha Centauri, and the AI well, I, was better. I mean, and I inherited that prototype, so I remember it was heavily based on Alpha Centauri. Yeah, so. yeah, exactly. You're right. So, so yeah, we just we were like, okay, and what ideas? And you know, and by we at that point, that was mainly uh, me and Doug, um, mm-hmm. Doug Kaufman. Um, you know, we're like, well, what would be some fun things that might make this? You know, um, it, it was kind of. Oh well, there was there was this initial burst of joy of like having our old sandbox, you know, because we had, yeah. you know, there's nothing like being denied the ability to work on a Civ <laughs> game for five long lawyerly years of angry letters to suddenly say, oh, what you mean we can actually do a civil game, like a Civ game, and call it Civilization and yeah. use the exact rules and even code and whatever? It's like, wow, that's a that's a comfortable feeling, and and so it's kind of fun to you know put the old shoe back on, and and so we certainly had a few leftover ideas. Oh, if only we'd you know made special resources be more cool, and right, you know, what if you put a road, and what if you needed them to build a certain kind of unit, you had to, so that then the map kind of informed the stuff, and I don't even remember how. I mean, I, I played Civ three, uh, but I, I don't really remember exactly how much of that made it, but I do remember. I remember booting it up when it came out, and remember that at least special resources and connecting with the road was still in there. So, yep. <laughs> so there it wasn't completely uh, it wasn't completely barren of some things that, that, that Doug and I had done at the very beginning. Um, but it was only like six months or so because yep. at that point, you know, Firaxis was the at the upper levels was kind of splitting up over you know more like partner business differences, <laughs> uh, and. 
and so I left and did a um, and uh, and you know having um, having been informed <laughs> having been informed by the deal Sid had at Microprose, uh, it turned out that I also didn't have a you know um, non solicit agreement with 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 Firaxis. Uh, uh, I guess on the basis that, that Sid, when we started for Axis, Sid wasn't going to sign one, so we're like, well, I don't want to sign, sign one, yeah, so yeah. let's not sign one. And and so, did so you, did you know that all those guys would come with you when you left? I didn't did just... know. I I hoped. I, I was really good friends yeah. with some of them, and you know, there, there was a certain crew of us that always had lunch together and always did this, and um, and some of them, you know weren't happy with some of the things or whatever or just want, or just had visions of other stuff they wanted to do. But was there so was there a general sense though that people didn't want to work on Civ three and they wanted to work on something different? Well there was a sense that uh, there was a sense of some of those some of those that all went together, went, went to lunch together, also all played real time strategy games yes. all the time and, right. and liked that. And so there was a sense of it, it wasn't that there was anything wrong with the you know, the Civ business model was a great business model. Yeah. You know, if they didn't want the Civ business model, I would have been happy to take it. You know, yeah, yeah. if, oh, oh no, you're so burdened by having to make a civilization game, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I'll, I'll take that off your plate for you. But, but, you know, but no, uh, th- there was certainly, there were some folks I was pretty certain would be inspired to, um, to want to work on a real-time strategy game and would be a cultural fit, or you're, let's say a better cultural fit with me right, yeah, <laughs> than, yeah. with, uh, than with Firaxis. And it was, it was this literally like you guys had just been starting to play a lot of StarCraft, a lot of Age of Empires. We had an Age like, of Empires 2, which yeah, was yeah. even though, wow, they made a history one yeah, and yeah. it works and it's cool. And, um, and, and so certainly the... The publisher pitch when we then you know started doing it was so yeah it's uh it's all of history in real time and and so we were like the like the initial set of people that we you know like the publishers that showed some real interest initially were Microsoft, which in a way thought of us as kind of a backup apparently their business relationship with um with ensemble studios had always been contentious you know that yeah. uh, let's say ensemble was good at getting good deals yeah. by that point and and so the negotiations were always a little bit so they were stuck together but on the like, yeah. it was always like a oh god are they going to walk away kind of thing yeah. you know there, there was a lot of i think people had to walk away from deals a lot and then come back and whatever they you know it was a it was that kind of sets of negotiations. So I think I think Microsoft felt like they wanted some. They wanted to take out an insurance policy on that. That, that was their interest. Um, there were some of the Hasbro people weren't sure that they didn't want, you know, essentially want me to do Civ three instead of Firaxis. Um, so there was like internal, you know. Uh, and, and even if they didn't have me do that, then they thought maybe they wanted to have me do something. You know, I, I think there were some people at at Hasbro that thought that Wait, they would that they would you know they had signed for Axis. Now yeah. I was leaving for Axis, 
And but but they were thought maybe they wanted to have me do something even wow. if it wasn't. So they considered having your company work for them and some, Praxis work for them. Some of them did, yes. Whoa, and, and ultimately, really I think ultimately they kind <laughs> of you know got all on the same page and decided that that would be too whatever, yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, um, I, because I remember when I when I joined Fraxis, I mean, after a couple of years, things kind of everything calmed down, right? And everything's back to normal. But there was, you know, there yeah. was well, they were, well, but the Fraxis people, I mean, the ones left behind at Fraxis were the ones that maybe had more reason to feel directly betrayed or whatever. Yeah. I mean, the the Hasbroy people, right? Some of them had well, yeah, relationships yeah. with me from. Sure, it's not it, Hasbro's issue, but it would have it would have really. Well, put the but two but yeah, well, I, I think they I think they figured weird, that out. Weird yeah. position. Yeah, I think they figured it out that maybe. That wouldn't have been fun for them to, tra- yeah. and, and, and you know, and honestly, I, I'm I'm certainly not sure that Firaxis didn't tell them that that wouldn't be fun sure. for them. <laughs> you know, that was uh, I mean, which, it, which 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 probably wouldn't have been legally appropriate to do, but may have yeah, happened. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I, who knows? Yeah. But I mean, would anyway, you, would you have been able to do like a resonations at Firaxis? Like at Firaxis, I doubt. I mean, no, I don't. Th- I don't think real. I, I don't think not because. Not because structurally it wasn't pot. I mean, if you can start a brand new business and do yeah. it, then you could do it inside of it. it. Then, in theory, it's easier to do it inside of an existing business that yeah. already has money and a name and all and brands and all that stuff. Uh, but I think politically it wasn't pot. I mean, not just because we were you know fighting, but but because um, culturally. You know, it just wasn't. A, it wasn't a do a giant game for. It wasn't a go ask for ten million dollars and go all out to break into some existing genre. And it, you know, there were a lot of the the moves we made that just weren't really in the cult. You know, Firaxis was more of a explore experimental things and service the. You know the. Um, I won't say cash cow because they're doing a lot right. more than milking a cash cow, but it's the the workhorse, you know, yeah. maintain the workhorse of what well, that point just the four X gains, but then it became you know once civilization was locked back in, yeah. you know, after the acquisition when that now they're literally the same company, then it's like of course you know that that's yeah. the thing, and then they you know built another built another license back but up philosophically, and, and do it. philosophically you were ready to grow in a way that Frax I wanted to yeah I wanted to grow I wanted to have a because I remember when I joined Fraxis like what was left was pretty skeleton crew there was right. basically like one programmer left Really? Wow. Wow. Well, there weren't many programmers in the first in the, place. To yeah. begin with, but like, yeah, yeah I mean, it was... Those, those are the small days, it yeah. Was, <laughs> it yeah. was a small company at that right. point, so... Um, but right. yeah, anyway, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, but but we wanted to we wanted to build a big old game and spend a lot of money and yeah. really just try to try to hit what we thought were, you know, the triple... To try to stay in what we thought triple A was, because uh, we were... We felt like that... May, you know, these turn-based things were really going to become more of a backwater. And it's yeah. been a very profitable backwater, um, but but that you know our kind of vision for doing an awesome piece of art was more like doing something big at that point. At that point, it didn't feel as impossible to stay in AAA as maybe you know it would it would feel now because because yeah. you know I think when we went around shopping Rise of Nations, we were asking for ten million dollars. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyway, so so the. The third publisher we talked to was Activision again, yeah. um, and and so you know I think Hasbro figured out that you know politically they just weren't that wasn't going to be a thing for them. Yeah. 
Um, has uh, sorry, uh, Activision made us you know a very serious offer, but it wasn't um, it wasn't as much money. Mm-hmm. Uh, Microsoft seemed willing to really more you know they didn't give us the 10 million we were asking for but they came pretty close and and ultimately we did spend i think we spent 9.6 million dollars to make um right to make so ultimately you know at the end you know the 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 schedule and feature slip uh (laughs) got to shockingly where we said it was going to be in the first place and and they were willing to you know so they were willing to come with so even though though that you know they might not have offered the most the most brilliant royalty rate. Uh, it felt like well, and and Microsoft had been the had been one of the losing suitors to Firaxis that I had really kind of liked in some mm-hmm. way. You know, there I mean, we'd all kind of liked them. I mean, it was a sense that wow, you know, it's like they got a lot of money and resources, yeah. and that might be cool. Yeah. You know, well, you were in a good place because you had, you had done the pitch before to all these companies. So. Well, right, right. So I knew the pitch. So, so yeah. like, yeah, Stuart Mulder. I went out there, and you know, I knew him at that by that point because he had been in the room in the first thing. I mean, I knew Ed, and so yeah, I ended up at E three or whatever it was, whatever thing I was at. Maybe it was GDC or whatever yeah. month it was. Um, but but it was spring sometimes, <laughs> and yeah, just in there, you know, effectively interviewing with Ed or whatever, and you know, went out to Seattle, and whatever, and and the, so anyway, we we signed it with with uh, signed it with Microsoft, um, and to our um, you know almost almost to our shock, how good of a deal we got, mm-hmm. and and we were off because I mean that was that was like the weird thing is they wanted to own some of our stock, okay, and so. Like a third of the money was in the form of buying our equity. Okay. Like so you, you didn't know, have to pay it back. So we didn't have to pay it back, but it also meant that whole check hit the bank oh, on the right first away. day. Like sure. there was this giant wire came in. You know, <laughs> and then there would be the you know then there's milestones yeah. and doing the thing, but it's like holy crap, that's a lot of runway. I mean, you know, that was you know especially with our little small team. I mean. You know, we, we could sit around for years, you know, making design documents just with the, what was already in our bank account. So that was like, wow, you know, life suddenly feels different than it, than it felt like two minutes ago. Um, yeah. I think we were playing poker. It's how we played a lot of poker. And uh, uh-huh. I think, uh, I think like, I was up like $200 or something. And then the, uh, um, the call came in that the, the <laughs> thing, and, and I, I think... But you know, half an hour later, I was like down three hundred dollars because I just couldn't, uh, you know, I just I could no longer make uh, financial decisions about <laughs> about anything for for a while. Uh, so so we had a lot of room to then you know create whatever culture we wanted, make the game we wanted. Um, I mean, yeah, I remember- honestly, Rise of Nations came out a lot nearer to the original mark than most games I've ever worked on sure. that weren't sequels. Um, right, and the funny thing was because Microsoft didn't really like. Of course, they had done Age, yeah. and so they had a their like built-in um, mental paradigm was that you couldn't do more than a hundred years of history, yeah. <laughs> and, and and have it work and have it and have it fit within the amount of time that RTS. And so, like our motto on on 
um, Rise of Nations was, you know, history on your lunch hour. The, yeah. the, the, we were like, no, you could see, because our vision was that, well, the thing that was cool in civilization, the coolest single goddamn thing was when you moved from, you know, you, you got gunpowder and all your guys with spears turned into guys with guns, you know, that, that, that was just, and then, and then later they all turned into tanks and all of a sudden, uh, you know, you were suddenly you were mighty, and everybody else was pathetic, and and then it lasted for a while. Then you had to get back on the technological horse again, and and we felt like that was that was like a core piece of magic, and that was one that we felt like we could deliver without any of the. We didn't need to go clone a four X a Civ game. We didn't go make a need, didn't go need to make a Civ game in order to have that magic that we could totally, you know. We we played a lot of StarCraft and a lot of Age of Empires. We were like, nobody's done all of history. We could totally do all of history. There's a spot for us here, right. and and we managed to. I, I think. Did you not? I mean, did you not have some concern at the beginning of like that's. Is a pretty no, I, we felt like that was just... I mean, we, we didn't think it was going to be just easy, right. but we felt like that was so far inside of the safety margin that, that there was no possibility we couldn't deliver that. I mean, right. the, you know, there were all sorts of things about real-time strategy, you know, can we make pathfinding that works in, yeah, in the yeah. in the frame rate? Because that was you know, there was technical stuff that was not in our skill set. And you know, at that point, I was still a pretty technical guy. I was part of a technical team and all of that. And we were all all, you know, we as you pointed out, we had a fair amount of the technical team from from uh, Al Centauri, but none of us had ever done a lot of that That's stuff. And you know, so that was a you know, there was a, there were a bunch of learning curve things and game. You know, we knew there was going to be a lot of game balance stuff we had to learn because it's all going to be real time and right. all this stuff. So we had a lot of stuff we had to learn. But like, I could just sit there and play Age of Empires and say, "This is totally enough time to to have Spearman and then go to yeah." But it was funny because it was really hard to convince. Outsiders, you know, anybody that was an RTS person, mm-hmm. but um, but wasn't us, to convince them that of course you could do a game about all of history. So to us, it just seemed completely obvious that you could. Right. Um, of course, we were way inside of the. You know, we were the experts on doing games about all all of history, right? right you sure. know, so <laughs> we, were gonna... <laughs> uh, on the, we were not the experts on a real time strategy. Right. Uh, so the RTS guy said you couldn't do it. The all of history guy said you could do it. That was, uh, yeah. And we but we were determined to do it. Well, and, I could imagine that you could do it. It's the question is how long is the game going to be, and is that a problem? Yeah, no, we felt like we could do it in the hour, like because we knew that. Like, I mean, even an hour is kind of a long. Because, but long, Age yeah. of Empires games would go to an hour. You know, they could go to an hour. They wouldn't always go in an hour, but right. um, but they could they could go that way. So we weren't perceived as as you know that. I mean, these days you wouldn't make a a game that was supposed to go an hour, uh, you know, because <laughs> because it's you know it's everything's gotten more twitchy and. Dota E and, and and stuff, but uh, but in those days, you know, at least for a history game, they were willing to buy that we can make a game an hour, but not that it would be about all of history, and and so I, again, they were partially remember they were signing us to be their kind of spare Age of Empires yeah. team in case they you know needed to put us on that instead. So I think they were like, oh, we'll humor them for a while, and then we'll <laughs> see if we need them to right, yeah, to yeah. just buckle down and you know do whatever it would have been. I guess it would have been Age Three for them or something, but. Um, 
Hmm. All right. Well, let's also talk about the gameplay because, like, yeah. if, you, if you just ignore the whole thematic thing, yep, right. Which, like, I mean, that's important. That's a good hook. But which, like, of course, was why we thought it was obvious that we'd be able to do it. Because right. <laughs> we were looking at the gameplay. But anyway, go on. But you know, like, if you can kind of like throw away the fiction and not worry about yep. it, what did you want to do to the RTS genre? Right. That hadn't been done before. Well. I wanted to, you know, I had I had some screwy ideas about interfaces and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I had the things I always hated about RTSs that I wanted okay. to fix. Yeah, I mean, as always, you know, I'm more of a I'm more of a fixer of mm-hmm. gameplay than sure. a wild innovator, you okay. know, in, in my career. And so there were there were parts I wanted to either make cooler, uh, you know, make like I wanted to put some choice into a tech. You know, I knew there wasn't probably going to be a civilization style tech tree but i wanted to have some kind of technological progression that wasn't just click the next bot i mean you know because age had aging up right, right. you know we kind of hit one bot and then it had the little upgrades you buy that kind of mapped on to starcrafty upgrades and stuff um, but we were like ah, i think we could do some more and, and i thought we could do more than it turned out we could actually do. I mean, what we ended up with, you know, did, you know, had like four or five flavors of right. tech and you went down the different colors and it kind of had some theme. And, you know, that that was, uh, I mean, and I liked it. I, I thought that was, I thought that was a good, a good solid, um, but it wasn't as innovative as I hoped we could be. Mm-hmm. You know, th- there was an area where we were not able to do as much. You know, and it did have a you, very clear idea. I of, mean, do you think you could have done more? Or do you, or no, you no, 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 no. No, I think we. I think within you know, as we learned about the yeah. realities of of real time strategy games and having an hour to get the whole game done, that we did. You know, we ended up a lot closer to aging up. Right. Than Initially we had thought. hoped to be. So I, I had certainly had I had deeper and more strategic hopes for the yeah. tech tree than well, we ended up funny, with. There's a funny echo here of where Civ started because Civ started as a real time game. Right. Of course. Of course. Yeah. When, even Civ three, like when we were figuring out, oh God, what are we going to do for Civ three? Like uh-huh. when, when Sid had his little brainstorm. You know, he was like, well, here's this thing. You could do this thing. Or, you know, in two words, real time. <laughs> do you want to be completely, uh, do you want to go completely batshit crazy yeah, and yeah, yeah. do Civ 3 as a real time game? Yeah. But um, yeah, like the basic, you know, simple story is like, you know, you started real time. You're like, this game's just way too complex. Mm-hmm. You know, I have to switch to turn base. Yeah. So like there is some just like... Bait, you know, if there's like laws of physics, there's some sort of like law of gameplay of like you can only cram so much game rules into like a real time right like, environment period right. right 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 yep um so so yeah so we you know we learned some of that but that was one I wanted to do that I was really interested in having um worked real hard on some zoom out maps like we had this uh-huh. map you could like you used to be able to zoom way out like to see the whole world. And it was like the, it's almost like the, the mini map became your screen, yep. except that you could actually, you know, it was, it was a fully functional map and you could select, you know, groups of units or individual units and, and, and it went to a more schematic view of what he, it was more like, you know, infantry symbols and cavalry symbols and things. And, and you could play with it. Um, and the funny thing about that one, you know, and we worked, we, that was in the prototype for a long time. And it was the, the problem with that one. Uh, it was not what the usual problem is. The problem with that one is it was 
way too fun. Uh, <laughs> and I was just about to imagine, like, you know, if you make it good, the problem is people just stay. That, that, exactly fun. right. No, it was it was too fun. It was too useful. It was it, we learned a, a important lesson that you can actually make the interface too good yeah. for a piece of entertainment software because you ultimately wanted people to get that. I'm in this world with these cool little people and they're doing things in the world's a lot. You know, that's, that's the glory of those things of, of real time games, of course, especially, you know, like within our, you know, within this strategy games air area that we were, it's like, yeah, you're in the world, you're seeing all this stuff. You want to see all the cool art. And, and so over the years, I mean, that was probably what a three year ish, two and a half, three year ish development cycle. You know, the, the max zoom level got closer and closer and yep. closer. And I can't remember if you can zoom at all on Ryzen Nations. It, it might, maybe you still have a little bit of latent zoom, but maybe not even. I can't remember. I think there's a, it's like a, it's a tiny. Like, it, it's a, like, like, as soon as you zoom out, you're like, what is it? Uh, why, why, yeah. why, why it's it's almost like, why did they even put that yeah. feature? And it's because, you know, it was just too hard to let go of it <laughs> entirely. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, yeah, that was one, that was one we learned. And it's funny because actually even having any zoom, makes huge ramifications for the tech, right? Uh-huh. Like if yes. You, if you just have yes. one camera level, it makes yes. so many other choices simpler. Right, right, right. yes. you don't have to scale the building. Right. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, of course, we had to make all sorts of tech to, to just, support. Just and we had, yeah, there was support for an unbelievable level of zoom that turned out to, you know, just, just not be a thing. I guess that might have been part of the reason that you went to, you know, symbolic representation at a certain level was not only because they were so small, but so we didn't have to try to render a whole 3D model into, yeah. into whatever. Um, there was... I always hated the thing... I always hated the thing where, you know, you run out of Vespine gas and all your guys just sit there idle because you're not micromanaging. You know, there were certain, certain kinds of micromanagement that I loathed and always wished I could play a game that didn't have them. And so from a pretty early phase, and I'm I'm pretty certain I wrote the early versions, you know, myself, you know, the the little guys had the whatever we called it, auto peasant AI uh-huh. that they would um they would, you know, if they were, if a, if a guy came out and was idle, he would find something to do, yep. and he would do it in a kind of intelligent way. Right. Uh, and you could set a rally point. And you know, I was big on every, every kind of rally point has to work perfectly, and you have to have smart cues in your building. Well, you actually that, really attached your peasants to buildings. You did. Well, you that did, was, and that was a part of the other thing is the resources didn't run out, so you didn't even have to uh, micromanage as yeah. much. And the fun, you know, and, and we did discover there there was there was a certain amount of micromanagement that you didn't want to lose, uh, and so we did attach like so there was certainly raiding of you know so you just still it wasn't like you built a farm and there was no peasant you mm-hmm. could have done that right and then it's just a thing but we still had to have the pet so there could be something that somebody could come shoot and plus there's still a guy to sit there and yeah but we could have baked the guy into the art if we wanted to yeah. there's just a farmer that works in the farm and he doesn't matter but no we wanted you to be able to go kill the farmer or whatever or 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 you draft him to go chop wood yeah we we wanted that kind of micromanagement and we discovered that we you know, we had the little i remember trying to think of we want we we liked the idea of having a lot of resources and we probably started with 6 and worked our way down sure. to you know 4 or whatever 
Um, but I think we did good work on that because we, like the goal, and we didn't completely achieve it, but the goal was every resource, every different resource ought to feel like it's collected in a completely different way mm -hmm. and spent in a completely sure. different way. So yep. they feel different. And I think we had some wins with that. Like the coolest different way of collecting it was like the caravans. Mm -hmm. So they're like wandering between your cities. So they actually have to go between your cities. So there's this, they go out and they, you know, they wander out where they're really easy to get at and, and shoot. And, and of course it's a big prize because it's also... Um, you know, it came with money and stuff. So that was pretty fun in terms of collecting. And I, our coolest resource for being different to spend was knowledge. Like you could, because oh, yeah. yeah. you couldn't just turn other things into knowledge. You had to go get knowledge. So it was this um, very bottlenecked resource that meant we could both use it to control pacing in ways we wanted to control pacing, but it also, it, it had a stronger flavor feel and it felt right. different from stuff you'd run into in other real times. You just spend random resources. Yeah, right? Well, you, you spent, it was, it was wood, food, yeah. gold, and I guess they had stone and stone was there just because they were, they, they were a game about building walls. So yeah. they had stone, right? <laughs> uh, right. but we had, I think we did, we, we kept wood and food, yeah. uh, which kind of tied you there. Oh, and the other thing was we wanted you to gain the resources as you aged up. And I think some of that, we, we took out like there had been some other ones that you kind of aged into, and yeah. but we mostly that there might have been a vested. I, did you have gold in the very first age? I can't remember. Maybe you didn't. Maybe it was only wooden food in the very first. You know, mm -hmm. but that's almost the you know the practically nothing goes on for thirty seconds age. But um, but we did keep oil, yep. which came in later, and and it kind of that was it was hard work to make that work in the game. Uh, because part of it was we had to do map generation back in the Stone Age. And so if you're going to generate where the oil deposits are going to be, then you don't want – we would discover that – you know, you discover that your that the pyramids were built on top of oil. <laughs> and in a way, that's kind of, you know, funny. it sounds kind of funny, you know, or, or it sounds like potentially cool. It's like, oh, well, you know, tragically they're built on – but but it turned out that players didn't find it very cool, and it w and it was a huge problem with game balance, right? Because it would turn out that you know as um, as completely historically appropriate as that kind of issue sounds, that it 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 threw off game balance, and it wasn't much fun for whoever just yeah. you know. And so I think what we did is we put these. Um, areas of the map that we just put some rocks on so you couldn't and, do anything yeah and it turns out that that would be where the oil was <laughs> so you didn't see and i think we put more rocks down than there was oil so you wouldn't just be able to say oh i guess there's oil but that was where oil deposits appeared and then we didn't let you build buildings there so you wouldn't do it but then you would have this awkward message you know blocked by rocks or whatever and blocked by rocks became the team motto for <laughs> you know Awkward, stupid feature, you know. You, you would just say "blocked by rocks," and and everybody would understand what you meant. You know that this was uh, um, it meant that you know that, that Brian had personally failed you in some way. Yes, <laughs> it's a it's a way of putting it. So so, uh, so you know, but but I think in the you know as a as a resource, I think it kind of worked. It made 
it made that late age, you know, if you made it to the late ages, it actually put a little resource rush component into it that was usually missing from late RTS games. And that was, you know, I felt like it actually played pretty well. And, and of course, aesthetically, it, it made, you know, having tanks and rockets and things make, make some more sense. And, uh, and we actually... We did pretty good, I feel like, with the... Like, I was shocked at how well the modern ages came out in terms of fitting with the early ages as an RTS game. You know, like, I always knew we could... I I never had any doubt that we could go from age to age and gunpowder to tanks and and have have the thing flow and pace right, but I certainly had doubt about whether... You know, a game that started with bows and arrows that airplanes would fit into the scene, right, and tanks and, and nuclear missiles and, and all of that stuff. But I feel like in the end, it actually came out really fun and, 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 and pretty neat. It came out really well. I mean, a lot of it's, you know, in hindsight, pretty predictable, the things that worked or the things that didn't. But it was like, oh, well... We made something work, and what the something was actually turned out to be really fun. Sure. So, yeah. um, so I, I was, you know, in the end, you know, whereas I was had very mixed feelings about Alpha Centauri, I felt really good about Rise of Nations overall when we when we launched it. That uh, that it, I felt like we had delivered the game that we had sure. you know, that we had said we would, and that it was good. <laughs> right, right. That we. No. Had, I know the answer to this is kind of always going to be both to some extent, but I would be kind of interested to know, like, just how you kind of perceive this. Like, what I want to ask is, like, did you see it more as a single-player game or as a multiplayer game? Um, and how did that factor into, like, the design? We were... It was always both. I mean, sure. it was always... It always had to be fun for both. We were big multiplayer players, mm-hmm. so there was no question that we did not want to short multiplayer. And if anything... We probably so we probably worked harder on the multiplayer side of it. Mm-hmm. You know, we hired balance tech. You know, we knew the game had to be really. You know, whereas, like back when we would do a Civ game in the non-multiplayer days, it was like you know balance. No, it's not. <laughs> it's not balance. You know, <laughs> you just make it. It's an experience. It's supposed to be fun. It's supposed to make the the one player feel good, and everything else is is you know sometimes pretending to be a player, but. But doesn't actually have to under the hood function like a player. But in a a real time multiplayer game, it did. And of course, you know when people started playing these things at really high skill levels, you know we had to actually hire people that had those levels right. of skills. Would you know, you, we were. Would you play the game like weekly, every probably? day, every, it, every daily? Day. Yeah, we actually it was a cultural thing for us. Yeah. We had we called it the daily game. Uh, it was something that we lifted from, you know, friends of ours at Ensemble because yeah. they had that kind of stuff too. And we institutionalized it as a very specific thing. And so we were playing daily games from, you know, we were playing them in, in fall of 2000. Yeah. Like, you know, really, really early. Yep. Um, pro- you know, we did have a prototype real fast. Uh, and, it, and it was actually fun. Like our, our game, we were supposed to have a technical prototype. I think was the big milestone by March of 2001 and you know which would have been like 8 or 9 months in the contract we had what Microsoft told us was 
wow, this is fun in November. Like yeah. the, we, we delivered a fun prototype for the design document milestone, you know? <laughs> so, so it, it went way, you know, so, so our relationship with Microsoft stayed on the really good end. They were a fantastic publisher because they, they both left us alone about the right things and they didn't leave us alone about the right things. Cause I've had publishers that were completely up my rear end all the time. Yeah. I mean, I get publisher. I mean, Zynga was that company, you know. I mean, <laughs> somebody was like completely up your rear end every day about something that they should have completely left you alone for. Yeah. Well, uh, but I've also had publishers where it's like, hello, hello, hello. Like, yeah, yeah. you know, we, even when it's time to market things, you have to remind them um, we are going to be ready to launch. So, you know, so there's. So what, what was it? What were they aggressive on that was good? Like, that's um, interesting phrase. Let's see. So they were aggressive. Like so, on Rising Nations, um, they were aggressive on making sure we had a few um, on on marketing points. Like they wanted to make sure that, like you know, that nuclear weapons looked cool enough. Mm-hmm. Um, they there, there were some. They actually had some guys that were like. Within their team, they were just really smart about RTSs. They wanted to not like not fuck up RTS stuff. Like there was stuff where, like conventions, they well they had worked on the, um, you know they had been on the publisher end of RTS, you know in Age of Empires for for two generations of that now, and so some of them were really smart on on RTS, and so there were issues. There'd be various issues with you know interface or technology or whatever when they were like. Yeah, you guys are heading down a path that we think is gonna, you know, and and, and they would they would so you know they had expertise uh-huh. in marketing shit and in um in RTS in the in the under and not just not just the technical side of RTS but you know balance issues and specific you know game design things and the conventions you know, and expectations of the genre. Yeah, and and sometimes that had to be yes, the conventions. Thank you for <laughs> saying this, or for making that a coherent statement. Um, in some places, you know, we would push back against each other and, and evolve to a cool new thing, and you know that's how Rise of Nations could could come to be. And other things, they were just right, and and we're like, okay, yeah. <laughs> and 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 then, then there were places where you know, but they they knew. Like they never gave us any grief about you know anything related to history game. I mean they they were they had a continuing profound disbelief that we were ever going to get you know until we I don't know somewhere a year in we finally delivered. Okay, look here's a goddamn one hour RTS and you go all the way to tank. You know we finally got all the ages in. Like so here it is. They're like wow how. I think that could actually almost work. You know, we finally delivered it, but they had a profound disbelief for a long time. But they didn't bother us all the time. They weren't even all that. What's your backup plan about it? Hmm. You know, I think they just assumed that you know there would be a back. You know, we just cut some. We just cut all the later ages, right? And and it would just be, you know, age of going to gunpowder, <laughs> and that'd be it. But but. Uh, but they they did leave us alone. So they weren't all you know, and they weren't all. Why is this this shade of green kind of stuff? I mean, it was just they gave us a profound amount of freedom to make our. They believed in the vision. They they did actually believe in in a lot of the parts of the vision, and 
Um, and they let us they let us run even in the parts they weren't quite sure we could actually you know bite off all that we or, or chew all that we had bitten off. Um, but but yeah, it was it was a great it was a it, it was a real synergy, and we were good we were good buddies with with uh, with the Microsoft team, like mm-hmm. profoundly profoundly liked that team, got along real well, right. um, and I think they always kind of liked our. You know, because of that, I think the business relationship went really well. I mean, the fact when you're really friendly, you know, when everybody's friendly and and making a creative thing together, it was easier to have a more, you know, we're all on the same team kind of discussions about business things. So it was like, well, you know, do we want to, you know, it looks like this is pretty fun, but it could, but, you know, if we wanted to really get the, the cross on the final A <laughs> in triple A that, that it's going to take an extra nine months. Um, do we want to do it? Do you guys want to fund that? You know, and they're like, well, you know, and they, they, they'll come up with the money. We'd still have to, you know, um, whatever that's called when you're um, paying back your advances, um, recouping. recouping. We still, you know, and we were all like, yeah, no, we all believe in this product. Um, and I think, you know, if we put in the money, then I think we will recoup those advances. We did recoup those advances. Uh, so, you know, but it was, it was, it was a, mu- it was the friendliest. Yeah. Um, it was the friendliest all on the same page all the time set of where the creative and the business side fit together partially. Cause honestly, Especially in that era, their business guys were also kind of creative guys. Like the the funny way that their team had formed, you right. know, even all the way up to, you know, Stuart and Ed were were creative guys that were passionate about yeah. RTS stuff. And you know, so they weren't just business guys running a a business. And yeah. it, it 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 showed. <laughs> yeah. Well, let me go back to the single player versus multiplayer. Yeah. One. Okay. Sorry. Because yeah. we no, that's that's everything's fine. The. Uh, um, because I wanted to hear... It seemed like you were, you were talking about how you guys were taking the multiplayer thing well, very that, seriously. That's right. We so, did. And we probably didn't take single player seriously enough. We're like, oh, we'll throw some scenarios on. You know, that... I, I mean, you know, Age, Age of Empires had had little scenarios where they made yeah. a little, here's Richard the actual Lionhearted going to Jerusalem kind of things. We're like, I, I guess we'll throw some of those together. It wasn't really clear how we would make you be able to like age up, you know, do all of our magic and go to gunpowder if we were doing doing that treatment. So it was a, it was a kind of an unthought out thing for a very long time, and I think actually it was on. This might have been one of the things that that created the well. Do we want to, you know, slip the game almost a year so that we can have this thing? Um, because. Um, I think this was sort of a, it was one of those kind of friendly team revolt things almost where there, like there were some, some of the guys, um, some of the technical programmer, programmer ish guys that thought, you know, I don't like the way the single players go in our little, you know, mm-hmm. kind of half ass attempt at scenarios that we were sort of shoveling in, you know, in, in yeah. and said, hey, what if we, you know, could we just go off in a corner and make something, make a little prototype? Because we got a different idea, and we think it might be pretty cool. Um, and and they made it, and and they made it in you know in about a month. And at, at the point that they had kind of made the prototypey thing, it was in a month before E three. Okay. And I think this would have been E three of two thousand two, okay. which is to say 
that was the you know, in theory we were coming out in the fall, so this yeah. was like our final E three. And in the end, I think we came out the spring of the next year. You right. know, probably somewhere around E three. But you know, this was the the big E three, right. and so it's you know there were there was a pretty tense month over. So are we showing this yes, at E three? Yeah. This being conquer the world, which became yeah. our single player, and. And ultimately, yes, we were, and there were some tense moments over, you know, getting some graphics that you know, we all felt like matched the, you know, what was the standard. I can't remember what, whether it was a, there might have been a Total War game, or some, something had come out at the time that had a pretty cool strategic map. and Probably Total War. That's it was, it, it, yeah, which, which, whichever Total War, and, uh, and I was like, well, if you can match that quality, if you can match the presentation of that, then, then we can show this at E3, right? Right. Um, because I, I was very sensitive to we can't show something that looks like it's, you know, I would rather not show the feature at all, even if we we're going to deliver the feature, than show something that people would immediately say is not as good as something right. that's already shipped. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, I guess what I do yeah. in that is one of the interesting things about single player is that, so there is, we already talked about that there is this tension between like, how much game? How much stuff you're going to cram into the game? Yep. And where you are on the line between real time and turn-based. Yeah. And then there's yep. also even like something in the middle, like a paradox mm-hmm. game, which is like, well, it's real time, but it goes really slow. Yeah. And it pauses right. all the time. And right. Like, so they can have more stuff as well. But also, there's the same continuum, kind of for multiplayer versus single player. Mm-hmm. And if you have a single player game, you can put a lot more kind of weird stuff in the game because there, it's okay for the the player to be experiencing new stuff. A lot mm-hmm. as opposed to like no they need to master these few core mechanics which mm-hmm. is more on the multiplayer yeah. side yeah and because you guys were going for this much more ambitious broader yeah you know uh, rts game i would have thought like one of the more natural paths was to focus on the single player side sure because and also this is you'll also hear from rts developers a lot that mm-hmm. like yes the multiplayer gets all the press yeah but the people who buy the game are buying it for single player. Yeah, which is which is all true, and we didn't know any of it, uh, <laughs> and and we were you know way too ambitious to to be willing to listen. <laughs> so so I mean our our dream was definitely to make a big RTS game, you know that got the press, and and yeah. so so there was no way just as a point of pride that we were going to leave multiplayer out. And there was no way either that we were going to let it not be good. And so certainly we, like, the thing where the tech tree ended up, you know, paired way down from the original, you know, was very much a compromise in favor of, well, it was a compromise in favor of the time frame of the, the, you know, the the play in real time in an hour thing, but which, which in itself was... Because it's multiplayer, yeah. right? Yeah. It doesn't matter if it takes an hour if it's not multiplayer, yeah. right? Because I could imagine a, a total other path there where yeah. you're like, well, you know what? Most people are buying a single player. Yeah. We can have a complicated tech tree. Right. Like, the game could just yeah, exactly. pause. Save game. No, yeah. absolutely. Like, and if, if, tree, everything if I had been going in, you know, a, a, in a different world, you know, I could have said, well, you know, I'm an expert on single player strategy games and. And about all of history, and history is really big. And let's go do the the real time. It, it'd be real time with pauses, right? right you know, yeah. pause and give orders, or pause and look at your tech tree. But yeah, you can turn if you could turn off the time pressure when you needed to. If if the, if the time pressure was optional, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and, and you know, and there is there's an element of that in Rise of Nations because I think 
at least in single player, you can give orders while you're paused well, and pause, stuff. Yeah. I, I guess you, you, in multiplayer, you can't really pause. Or you, yeah. if you pause, then they can unpause. All that funny, funny stuff. But, but we didn't. We didn't go. We, we were not leaning into that particular you know strength that we theoretically had. We we were. We were all in for multiplayer real time, like cycle, like the core team, like the because again, even even so, Conquer the World was fan. It turned out to be a pretty fantastic yeah. multiplayer and certainly very appropriate for our game, and we got a lot of um, you know plaudits for it. But the vision for that was primarily from junior guys on our team that were like. You know, they were, you guys are fucking this up. <laughs> it was kind of their subtle hint that uh, all was not well, and that we were really, you know, yeah. particularly me, I guess, as the sort of design visionary nominally, was was under-servicing single player. Yeah. And that was very much, very much the case. I was very focused on yeah. making a cool, big, um, and so all of my you know, mental cycles were going into how can I get this cool game into a form where it's balanced for multiplayer, yeah, you yeah. know? So. Well, there's a... And I, I experienced the exact same thing working on Offworld, but there's, like, a sort of a reality development. Like, when you're making a multiplayer game that you can and you do play mm-hmm. every day, it's just hard not to get... Oh, right. Not to focus on right. that, because that's, right. like, that's your joy of going to work. Like, right. you know, there's yes. a right. two-year stretch where I was like, I'm going to go in, the, and the best part today is we're going to play the game at lunch. Right. And yep. then that's going to, like, if I, tell right. us what to do with it. Exactly. Right? Like, and if so I don't th- fix the balance on tanks, then, then that guy's going to come do that same goddamn broken strategy to me again. Yep. <laughs> so I'm fixing the balance on tanks. <laughs> yep, yep. So, yeah, it's, I think it's, it's hard to, like... Keep your eye on like what's actually the best business decision for the game. Yeah, as yeah. opposed to like what's the actual most fun thing exactly. I could do when I yeah. go into work. Right. Yeah, um, and not just for the game, for the company, all of that stuff. Yeah. So we were, you know, out of just almost you know kind of a sense of novelty and a sense of ambition, you know, and aspiration. We were intentionally doing some things that weren't in our in our wheelhouse. So we were having to learn things. We were yeah. making some mistakes. Um, fortunately, we were saved by some of our junior yeah. team members from no, some of them. <laughs> it's, it, yeah, that's really interesting. That's what it came for because I think that was a huge plus for the game. I mean, I, I definitely enjoyed yeah. the Conqueror right. the World mode. I mean, I I hate story based scenarios. Right, in right, it's just, right. It's just right. like it's asking the wrong type of developers. Yeah, to make and, and as soon as game. we, as soon as we, you know, as soon as Ike made it, I mean, Ike Ellis was the one that that um, did, you know most of the work on that and certainly all the programming work and all that stuff and and you know he was one of the core vision carriers for that whole thing and and went off and made that prototype and all that stuff and and yeah no i mean as soon as i saw it's like yeah we we basically want that yeah. Yeah, that's a what were we ever th- it's another one of those what were we ever thinking yeah. moments <laughs> yeah i mean uh you know, it's a strategy. <laughs> oh, by the way, that was one of the other key features I specifically wanted to put into RTS was national borders. It was like, oh, yeah, yeah. why on earth? Because we'd already had the moment in our in in turn base where it's like, why for all these years didn't we have national borders? This is just way too fun, and it's like, and nobody's done it yet in re- in real time, and they're out of their mind not to. So that yeah. that was always uh, getting the border pushing game in there was always a core. Yeah, that was a nice thing. thing and also, but you also had the sense of there were actually like slots for cities, right? 
No, there wasn't no, you, you could, could put, put cities anywhere? wherever you want. No, no, that that was Rise of Legends, and it was a mistake. <laughs> I mean, it was different. I mean, it was a different try. I mean, there were some good things in Rise uh, of Legends, but but I didn't it, feel like that was a mistake. I actually kind of liked that part of the game. I mean, yeah, I don't. It it made it a lot more static and set piece. I mean, sure. it it didn't it didn't have the wild ranging. Uh, sure. You know, having to put it in the specific place so that the art—it was a, you know, it was a concession to make art look better, kind of thing, um, which, you know, ultimately happened because, um, well, Microsoft wanted. You know, Microsoft told us that. Was there some? There must have been some limit, though. Like once you put down a city, probably you couldn't put another city down within a certain range. Or there, I think there was Rise of Nations did have some spacing limit, like yeah. you couldn't just. You know, bong to bong to bong. But there were there also there were other buildings that pushed borders and things like yeah. that as well. Um, but yet in in um, in uh, Rise of Legends, it was a little bit more like the you know the relic games where you know, you capture the point yep. and you get that little region yep. and maybe you put a city or maybe you don't. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it seems it's just kind of a different philosophy for how you're. It was. It just felt like I mean, in the end, the final result felt to me like we had you know we had adopted a game mechanic that was okay, but we had given up the thing that was more unique to us. You know, we were just doing something. We were, that was doing something that was kind of more like what everybody was doing, sure. whereas the mechanic we'd had, if we had doubled down on it, was more... Um, yeah. Well, it's interesting that you identified, like, the plus of being able to put a city anywhere is variance, right? That the game yeah. can go lots of different directions. Because there were actually two things about Rise of Nations that struck... Two things about the pure core mechanics about Rise of Nations that always struck me as being a bit odd because they kind of pushed the variance. They tamper, mm-hmm. they tampered down mm-hmm. the variance. Um, and that was that you had limitations on like how much of a resource you could produce. Mm-hmm. Right. right. Like, there was some, you couldn't just like, okay, I'm just gonna have all my guys produce. Wood. Right. And then you also had that thing where the price of every unit went up every time you built it. Yes. Right? And that was to prevent someone from saying like, I just want my army to be all spearmen. Yeah, um, it was exactly right. Right. We, we did push you toward, yeah, toward... And this is like encouraging like balanced approaches. And I just thought that was right. interesting because it seems like, generally speaking, there's lots of other reasons why you wouldn't want to have all your guys chop yeah, wood. Yeah, but, but it turned out that, that when you... We, like Before we had that, what you'd get was um, every other game was all spear. You, you'd get these, you know, Stone Age rushes and, and you know, that, that if you made units useful at all... Then you know, going all one flavor turned out to be turned out to be pretty powerful, um, and and ultimately, like that sort of yeah, that economic the the ramping cost, which was definitely not a, I mean, it wasn't even completely popular within the team. I feel like it. I feel like it worked. I mean, I was very committed to it because I felt like it was the only way that we were ever gonna. Um, you know, have game. I, I think it did make the game a little bit boomier, um, mm-hmm. which we kind of wanted because we wanted to have more ages. Uh, if if you know most of your games were ending in uh, medieval age, you wouldn't be feeling like you were getting history or lunch hour. So maybe in a way, it was almost a, a part of doing the topic that you mm-hmm. that you had to. Um, I think it did kind of push players around the zone, so you had to build some different kinds of units. So you had to. It, it made the. 
it made the economic gameplay feel like it had a little bit more flavor to it. Um, and and I think Rise of the Nation does emphasize the economic side of the game more. In fact, you know, we would have players, even multiplayer. Um, a lot of the people would, would kind of fly their base, <laughs> we call it, where you're not even up, you know, moving your units at the front. You're more back. You know, yeah. you're just sending off waves of, you know, grab and just do a big attack move off to the other side of the mini-map. And, but you're over micromanaging your guys and deciding your technologies. And you see you were, you were out-basing him, whereas other people were, were military right. micro people. Um, so yeah. I, I felt like maybe it emphasized the economic game a little more, therefore. And yeah. it gave it time to give it time to develop. All of those things ended up being very, you know, had to fit into the... The pacing right. and the and the compromise, and we backed off on some of the things when we got the kind of more pro players in, and they would encounter a thing where it just wasn't, you know, it wasn't fun or good at a pro level because we had done some, you know, we we had whatever thing, you know, rent, whether it was a ramping cost or whatever turned up too high, and so you know the the final levels we did that, but yeah, yeah, you're right that that um, it doesn't push you into uh, it, it pushes you away from. Um, Some really crazy. wildly asymmetrical yeah. armies. It was more like you had to have... It was more like everybody has a rook and a bishop and you have to um, be better at positioning them. Or, or you know, it, it was so more yeah. like a... More like that uh, kind of flavor. But, of course, there's there's flavor in that, in that yeah. too. We couldn't afford to make everybody have... You know, we couldn't make whatever it was, 18 races with a Starcraftian level yeah, of difference sure. in all the units, of course, so we had to just kind of figure out how to give things a little bit of gloss. Right. Uh, we certainly did want the nation power, you know, the sense that well, if you pick France, it's going to feel different in a gameplay level from picking China or whatever. Right. But, but yeah, we had a, there was a limit to, you know, production limit to how much well, we could do. Yeah, it's interesting. I hadn't thought of it in the terms of limiting. You were necessarily, not necessarily trying to limit the variance per se, but you maybe were trying to limit the variance during the first 20 minutes of the game or something like Particularly that. Particularly that. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Because um, I can see that being a big concern of like, we're doing all this stuff for the late game and like, what happens if people figure out the strategy that just means half the games end, you yeah. know, in the medieval times. Right. Or are foreordained conclusions by... And, and I had... I was certainly enamored at that point of a concept that you know maybe i wasn't as enamored of you know later but i certainly had this idea of building in a lot of catch-up mechanisms so that like i was building ramping costs definitely make it harder for the rich to get richer sure um you know because your your 10th tank costs a lot more than my first tank right to catch up with you and so and so I, it, it was certainly a um, like I wanted I wanted it to feel like you could always there was always a possibility you could win until you'd lost. Like I didn't like games you know, you know points in real time strategy games where it's like oh I am definitely going to lose yep. this but there's 15 minutes to go. Yep. Uh, yeah, it's a major problem in RTS games. Right, and and so we were I was building in things to prevent that, and of course one is well when someone's definitely won, let them win. Like you know, so that's the like various kinds of sudden death victories, uh, and the other thing was to put in things so that 
well, if it's not over yet, then there must be a way to catch up. Right. And ramping costs do, you know, play a role. You know, that that and other things, other mechanics like it. Did you have a... I, I, said, for some reason, I just don't even remember what the victory condition was. Like, uh, there was well, there was, there so was Conquest. It, there was um, Wonder Victories, right. um, which was a timer, and you could go capture the Wonder and stuff. There were a couple other, I mean, I, I think there might have been some modes. You could, there was like a sudden death one where, you know, if you lose any city, uh, it's actually really fun. If you lose any city, that's you lost it. the game. Yeah. Um, and There's actually a lot in the Civ, the Civ 4 multiplayer community, that's actually a common mode that they right. kind of built organically. We didn't actually put that right. in. We actually, I think, patched it later, but it was because they just want the game to have like a tidy resolution right, right? And yep. Like, yep if you found a city you should be ready to, pre- to prepare to like protect it yeah yeah exactly which, which turned out to be really fun and you know what like our, our main play I, I think one of the the zaniest ones we came up with was we had an, I think it I think it shipped I think we had assassin mode mm-hmm. and that's like for like I hated six player free for alls or it's just like <laughs> that's crazy for yeah we, we, but a lot of people unfortunately people that I know <laughs> <laughs> liked them and so assassin i thought was a lot better because the idea was well my job is to kill the guy on my right and his guy is a got and there was some kind of thing where you couldn't even like you couldn't go into anybody's territory uh-huh. that wasn't either you or the guy like the attrition uh-huh. would just be ridiculous so you could defend a, in your territory against his attack the guy you know is supposed to attack you yep. but you couldn't you couldn't really practically go into his territory very much until, unless you'd eliminated everybody yes, else and yeah. you were finally down to the one-on-one. And that was so much more fun than a, than a free-for-all. Yeah, that, a good, uh, that seems cool. It was kind of, you know, it's, it's a niche thing. But so, we, you know, we, we experimented with, with multiplayer but for game the, types. But. but for the default game, was it still mostly Conquest? I mean, is it was, I think it was mostly, it was Conquest and Wonder Victory. Okay. No, Wonder so Victory was, was on. That was common enough. Uh, yeah, and you could, oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you could turn it off. Like, there, you know, if you were a purist and you were like, down to the last, I think there. I think actually on the setup screen, it was. Yeah, that's right. I mean, it's, it comes back over fifteen years. <laughs> the, the setup screen, you could, you know, you were like number of players, and there was like a a game mode where you could say, you know, like default. I think was, you know, all of the main kinds of it. You know, and I can't remember if there was another kind of victory. I can't remember if there was like a. There might have been a territory victory, like, like something like seventy-five percent of Since territory. Since you had borders, it seems like that. Was yeah, the I think thing we had a territory victory, and it was you start, and it was a clock, but it was a clock that started when you hit yep. some. I can't remember if it was sixty percent or seventy percent. It wasn't right. It wasn't right at fifty percent, but it was, and that was that was definitely uh, that was the other kind. That's the opposite of the catch-up mechanic. It's the like, look, the game's over. Let's let it be over. Yeah. Don't make them go kill the last three bases and yeah, they'll find yeah, yeah. you know, just. Done. Yep. So if you were a purist, you could turn off Territory Victory too. I think Territory Victory is probably you know if you, you know I, I don't remember the the telemetry, but I suspect it was the most yeah. common kind of victory. Right. Some people turn off Wonder Victory, but that was the more economic one, yeah. and you know it was, it was harder to achieve. It wasn't. Uh, it wasn't just build any wonder and you yeah, win. That's, I think that's what I was trying to get at. And that's one of those great things that's enabled once you put borders in, right? You have this, like, right. meta layer that you can use for right. that. Um, and it w- felt intuitive. You look at the board, and, like, the whole map, like, oh, yeah. look, the map's all blue. Well, you know, okay. Yeah. 
<laughs> I guess it's a territory victory yeah. then. <laughs> and everyone who plays an RTS knows at that point. Like, and plus, also, mm-hmm. you know, you, this is a bigger, sprawling game, mm-hmm. so you would you have even a worse problem with like trying to kill yeah. all. Of them. Well, oh, sure, yeah, absolutely, yeah, right. I mean, our map didn't end up being particularly bigger than other RTSs by the time we were done. I mean, we. Yep. had terrible ideas at the beginning that we rapidly <laughs> cured ourselves of. But uh, but in the end, you know, it ended up being a reasonable size map. I, I think we, you could change the map size also, you yeah, know, sure. which because I guess you would have to if you... Because I think we supported, you know, four on four or yeah. whatever. I can't remember. It must have only been... Surely not more than four on four. But, but you know, you needed a big map for that. And we had a had a map generator. and You know, we had a random map generator. You know, that was a very, uh, you know, a very stid thing to do is have a random map generator. Yeah. And, um, and you know, I felt like that that came out pretty well. Because we, we had things that would generate different kinds of maps. You know, you could mm-hmm. kind of specify a, a sort of theme of map. And it would do a pretty good job of... Um, I remember being proud of that map generator at the end. And, and we thought of some, you know, a good enough number of kinds of map. It was not just thinking of the kind of map, but then being able to randomly generate you know, variants of them that still kept the key, you know, yeah. <laughs> kept the key uh, part of it intact. So, yeah, yeah. so were you, like were you good at the game? I was pretty good. I don't think I was, it, I wasn't, the, the last game I think I was ever the office champion mm-hmm. for a long time was, uh, was Gettysburg. Um, okay. <laughs> I think I was like the undefeated, you know, the, the, the never toppled champion sure. of, of Gettysburg at, at Firaxis, but uh, I was good. I mean, I would certainly win daily games, yeah. but but not in a. I wasn't like the crushing all out um, winner, yeah. and I, I was of course always like, always suspected of changing the rules to yeah, suit sure. my play style. Right. But <laughs> yeah. So any victory always came with an asterisk yeah, to the yeah, team. Yeah. Yeah. I, I know I can. I've experienced that as well. Oh, well, Brian uh, won. And sometimes, fair enough, he's like, Because apparently there's a new thing with borders. (laughs) Well, sometimes they're right. Not not necessarily that I did it on purpose, but like, oh, I forgot to tell you guys. Right. Sorry. (laughs) By the way, (laughs) I got this great, you know. Got this new idea. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's already implemented. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, those daily games did lead to a good... um, I mean, we were we were playing builds every day, and yeah. of course, that's really good for a game. Yeah, like, yeah. if you're actually, and, and that meant we were keeping it stable. Like, that was something that we we gave up in Rise of Legends, and you know, and I think paid the price is that you know there was vast periods of time when you basic you either literally couldn't or essentially couldn't play the game yeah. for weeks or even a month at a time, and um, or like not meaningfully play it. Well, the stuff there's some really unanswerable questions right because we kind of like postulated like what's the alternate version of rise nations where you guys went all in on single player right 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 but if you don't go all in but if you don't go all in multiplayer then the whole team is not playing the game you know right a couple right times a week and so then like it's not just the designers like the artists and the program everyone yeah. sees how their work and yes to the game. fits into the thing I mean, which was always that that was the we specifically articulated it that way when we were like you know, when, you know, there were you know there were times either because of schedule reasons or because of yeah. personalities of player or or team member that wasn't all that you know frankly into real time strategy games where it would be like oh I have to go to a goddamn daily you yeah, know yeah. whatever and it's like well you know we need everybody to see their part of the game operating with all the other yeah, parts because yeah. in the end we're not making 
We're not making a design document. We're yeah. not just making a piece of software. We're not making a piece of art. We're not making a piece of music. Any of that stuff. You know, we're making this whole entertainment experience, and the stuff has to fit together. And I will say that the pieces of Rise of Nations fit together a lot better because of because of that philosophy. You know, and it was painful and it was time consuming. I mean, you know, I, I, I was. You know, a lot of time out of people's days yep. to go and and play the thing, and a lot of you know, in some cases, you know, misery inflicted. <laughs> people didn't want to play it. Yeah. Uh, and of course, it also you know, there were a lot of times when it wasn't all that fun. Yeah. Um, you know, the, you talk to old old time Rise of Nations people, and they'd tell you about the. Uh, I, I think the most infamous one is what everybody calls the tech bush because okay. <laughs> you know it was when we were trying to put in a tech tree oh, yeah, okay. but it wasn't you know the interface was it was too complicated <laughs> and it wasn't and you and you you'd be trying to figure out in the middle of your you know of your spearman rush you know What's well wait a minute why can't i click on this box because it requires this thing from this other you know i don't probably page of the interface that you had to go look at and uh and and yeah, I, I think I somewhere somewhere we still have I you know I still have some like a last thing that was like a printout of what the you know before we you know before I got religion and said okay we're gonna make five lines <laughs> and they're gonna be five different colors. Yeah, yeah. Fine. <laughs> I can't even remember if it's five or four, but it it, four. I think I think it's actually four plus the age up bar. I think there were five oh, okay. bars. That's what yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. That's why I'm always. That's why I never can remember. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, yeah. So, uh, but you know, I think there was a great sigh of relief from you know thirty other people when I finally you know <laughs> gave simple. in and did that. I mean, so, yeah, you know, there were there were times when it was like you know, there's always times on a game where it's not not looking so good, right? Yeah. And it's like it's always amazing gun. how often it ha- happens that the ultimate answer ends up being way simpler. Than the thing you start right, with. absolutely, you know, it just right. All but if you don't time. start with the yep, yep. more whatever thing, then you won't find the part that was good, right? If you just start with the, I feel like if you yeah. just start with a really simple thing, you're gonna like, you're gonna miss out on the thing that would have been good. <laughs> yep. Oh yeah, yeah. And, and, or it may just be that I, you know, my brain doesn't. No, work I've at always the level been like, to, why couldn't I have just done the simple thing to begin yeah. with? But like, right. it just doesn't work out that way. Right. Yeah, but you know, national borders are actually really easy to implement and really elegant, and they work and they're beautiful. But like, it takes ten years to figure out <laughs> <laughs> that, that that's what you need to yeah. do. Now, there was some fun challenge, like technical wise, in getting national borders to work in a real time game on the specific point of frame rate. Okay, because they could be constantly it, changing. Well, well, they change every time someone builds a building. Yeah. It, it wasn't that we every we, every frame we didn't yeah. have to compute it, yeah. except that what would happen is every now and then a building would change, you know, either a city would fall or a new fort went down or something. And it does mean, you know, based on what that calculation is, which is, you know, it was still, <laughs> even by then, it was still just distance to yeah. see, except it was now time, also times the, it was like your the power of your religion, you know, the okay. more religion-y you were or whatever, civic-y, religion-y, I, can't, I might be getting so far confused with, with Rise of Nations, <laughs> but, but it was one of those things, you know, you, you could turn up your pushing power yeah. uh, but it was you know so it was your your power you know with the inverse square of the distance it was some sort of a force of gravity thing you know applied to each atom in the universe and that was and of course there's a lot of there's actually a lot of little little those little micro squares yep. in a RTS and, and it turned out that the amount of time 
that it takes to compute it all is kind of more like, you know, it was like almost a second worth of computation, like almost a, it was, and so, so oops. And so what we did was we had it actually, so you, you, when you play, if you ever were to play it again, you see a a border change happen, you'll actually see it sweep down from the top and it looks like it's just kind of a, it's like a raster. It looks like a raster error or something. Uh-huh. It, but what is actually the the case is that there is actually a discontinuity in the game. You know, above you know above twenty degrees north, the border is actually over here for you know all rule purposes, and below, wow. <laughs> you know, it actually is over here, uh-huh. and, and there really is this. Uh, so it was. It, doing... it wasn't just a, a display discontinuity. It was an actual game universe discontinuity. So you were doing different portions of the map. Yeah, yeah. We would just run like in the background, like in each frame. If there was a you know a dirty you know there was yeah. like a dirty marker on national borders, and and it was like and here's where I got to, yeah. <laughs> you know here's what pixel of the map I got to, and it would just do as many as it could get away with that frame and and. And so the display was just, you know, yep. honestly copying what what it said in the game world, wow. <laughs> and there would be a there'd be a jaggy going, um, going from north to south every time the border shift. Um, but it it ultimately it even kind of looked good in a way because it it felt it, it made it feel like the borders were animating yeah, even they weren't animated in the same way yeah. it was yeah it, I thought it was on purpose like, I was like <laughs> right you know, exactly it's, that's why it's so brilliant. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That that may be um, that may be my last technical brilliance in the game industry. <laughs> I think that was, maybe that was the last technical thing I wrote that was brilliant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, as opposed to just coding and changing the timing on an interface or something. Because I think I did actually uh, come up with that yeah. that workaround. Wow. Yeah. But uh, fun game to work on. Rise yeah, I was Nations. Say, so Rise Nations came out and. Uh, did pretty well. Did did pretty well, and and it it, well, it did. It first it came out and did pretty okay, and then we shipped what must have been you know the best X pack that's uh-huh. ever gone out. It, it was what was it called? Thrones and Patriots. Uh, Thrones and Patriots like turned Rise of Nations from you know an almost okay thing into a very comfortably. I feel like there's some pretty big improvements on the Conquer the World game. Is that yeah, I, I think it probably did. Yeah, I think I think that was when we had like Conquer the World scenarios. Maybe uh-huh. you know, like you could go, let's go fight, you know, Napoleonic France or something. You know, you yeah. could do these weird other maps yeah. and and I mean, talking to you, about the, it makes sense now because I, I had the sense when it first came out, it was like the Conquer the World was like this is interesting, but it just feels like they. Need but it feels time. like maybe they only spent eight months making. <laughs> <laughs> Something like that. Yeah, yeah, something, yeah.